I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Hey guys, Ryan here. I'm often asked what the most popular episodes of the podcast are. Well, I think most can agree that it's when I step aside and let UFO witnesses speak for themselves and tell their own UFO stories. This series is called Witness Accounts, and we have just recently surpassed 20 volumes of the series. So I thought it'd be cool to collect all 21 volumes into three megasodes for you to listen to at your leisure. So today, we start with the first seven volumes of Witness Accounts, which include some of my favorite stories ever submitted to Somewhere in the Skies, including two live episodes that I recorded on-site at AlienCon in Baltimore, Maryland, and Los Angeles, California. So, I hope you enjoy, and if you have a UFO story you'd like to share on the show, reach out to me on Twitter, at Somewhere Skies, on Instagram, at Somewhere Skies Pod, or use the contact tab on the website at somewhereintheskies.com. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Hey, Ryan. Thank you for uh, asking us to do this. Uh, I'm Vance Nesbitt. Uh, but I appreciate you asking and putting the word out there because I love to hear other people's uh, UFO experiences. My experience, it was actually my first experience into anything strange or abnormal or paranormal, however you want to categorize it, uh, but it was my first experience. I was either six or seven years old. Um, we lived in a two-story house in the rural suburbs of Chicago, uh, what I mean by that, it was an undeveloped urban or suburban area. Uh, there were houses being built sporadically throughout the neighborhood, but it really was not a, a fully developed neighborhood yet. Anyway, uh, the two-story house, my bedroom was up on the second floor along with my parents, and I was laying in bed, and looking out the bedroom window, I had noticed this bright light just above the horizon and it was through the trees but off in the distance but it was a relatively bright light but it was similar to that of an aircraft um, as you see sometimes you know the aircraft has its landing lights on it's there's a lot of candle power behind it but it stayed there for what seemed like an odd odd amount of time 
but I didn't pay much attention to it because, again, I've never had an experience before. And I remember my mother calling my father. Now, my mom was in her bedroom reading a book, or at least I kind of remember that she was reading a book, and it caught her attention out her bedroom window. And she called my father up from downstairs, and I overheard their conversation of my mother saying that she's been watching this bright light in the sky for about 15 minutes, and it's really not doing much. And I flew up out of bed, and I ran in their bedroom. I'm like, yes, I see it, too. I see it, too. And I was all excited as a kid, and wow, what is this? And we watched it out their bedroom window. Now, their bedroom window was more uh, picture window style, so it was pretty relatively big window. But we all ended up going downstairs and outside into the backyard. Uh, at that time, the property was about one acre. And we stood out in the backyard, and we saw this light slowly approaching closer to us. It was getting larger and larger, but it was approaching closer to us, but it was moving so slowly. And now looking back on it from that experience, I would guess that it was probably anywhere between 1,200 to 1,300 feet in elevation above us, but it was moving so slow and dead silent. There was no engine noise, nothing, just dead silence. But as this, whatever it was, craft was coming overhead, none of us could identify an outlined image. We couldn't see it as a triangle or a round shape or an aircraft, anything. All we saw was this front landing light which is now not so bright because it was aimed forward but as it started to approach overhead over our property and the you know surrounding homes um, this bright light came on on the bottom of this craft now it's not your typical ufo straight beam of white light it lit up everything in as far as I could see, it was lighting up everything. The neighbor's house, our our yard, uh, as far as I could see, to the left and right, and it was such a profound and chilling experience. But it only came on for no more than three seconds, and even three seconds is probably pushing it. It may have only been one full second to maybe two seconds, but. Looking back on it, you know, to count three seconds, that's what it might have been. The light went off, and this craft just kept floating, whatever it was, because like I said, we could not see any defined edges of it. It was dark out. I don't remember if it was clear or cloudy, but I do remember we could not identify any edges to whatever this thing was other than that light on the front end of this thing as it was moving away and we watched it for a total of about 40 minutes from the time when i first noticed it off the horizon till it just drifted off out of sight behind the trees and we couldn't see it anymore but the strange thing is you know i don't remember to this day if i ever had a conversation with my mom and dad about what their opinion was about this whole thing i'm sure we talked about it i just don't retain any information after that i think probably because all the neurons in the brain were firing as to what this strange experience was but it threw me into uh it, it threw me into this whole world to begin with so thanks for letting me share hi my name's kieran I come from the West Midlands in England and my UFO sighting took place early March 2013. 
Uh, I was with my brother at the time. We were on our way back from our weekly rugby session. On the way back, we drove through a place called Romsley. It's on the outskirts of our hometown, Halsowin. Romsley is a little bit of countryside. Um, it's quite hilly, and when you get to the top, there's a huge open space, and you can see for miles, you can see um, Birmingham in the distance, the city of Birmingham. Um, and as we as we were nearing the top, there's a, there's tree lines either side of you with the occasional farmhouse, and a huge um, white light caught my eye out to my right hand side. Um, and I, I slowed my car a little bit, but it was difficult to focus on the light because of the tree line. Um, my first instinct was maybe it was the motorway because there is a motorway that runs. Slightly parallel with the road I was taking. Um, but I, I soon realised that the motorway was in the distance. I could make that out. Um, the light kept appearing and disappearing behind the trees. I slowed my car, not not to a stop, but I slowed it uh, dramatically. We kept we kept driving up, up towards the top of the hill. Um, my brother had spotted it too by this point. As we neared the top, the light got a lot bigger. There was no one around, um, which is just as well because I'm sure I would have annoyed them driving so slowly. Eventually, I put my I put my brakes on. Um, I turned the engine off and pulled. Obviously, I pulled over before I turned my engine off. The light all of a sudden became a shape. Uh, at this point we were at the top of Romsley so it's that big open space I mentioned earlier um, the the craft was I would say no more than a thousand feet high and it was triangular at first I thought it was rectangular I remember saying to my brother um, you know it's 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 oblong it's rectangular um, my brother said I think it's triangular, um, and he was right. As my eyes focused on the shape a little bit more, it, it became triangular. Um, we sat there probably for about 10 seconds, staring at this thing going past us. Um, if I'd have carried on driving at 30 miles an hour, we would have outrun it easily. It was It was quite literally just cruising through the sky. Um, the light at this point, there were two lights, they were at the rear corners of the craft. There was no light in the centre and no light at the front, um, as is common with triangular crafts that I've looked into before and since my sighting. Uh, two lights were at the rear corners. Um, what what hit me the most at the time was the silence of the craft. Um, obviously, we're near Birmingham City centre so we get a lot of planes in the sky from the airport um, we also get a lot of helicopters flying around police helicopters and that and these were you know these fly at a much higher altitude than this craft was and you can hear them you know sometimes you can hear planes yet you can't see them uh, but this thing was silent deathly silent um, there was no one else around it was about like I say it's about quarter to ten um, quiet part of the road and there was not a noise to be heard my engine was off at this point 
Um, my window was down, and we just could not hear a thing. Um, that was very, very disturbing, actually. Just watching this thing, this huge, I'd say... I'd say the craft was probably around about a little smaller than a football pitch. That's a soccer pitch to any American listeners. A little smaller. Um, It was, for that size, you'd think there would be a noise, but there really wasn't. I have to emphasise the fact that there was no noise whatsoever. Um, Eventually, the craft did start to go past us. Um... I remember me and my brother constantly asking each other, you know, what what the hell is this thing? We're both we're both big lads, you know, we can look after ourselves, but this this incident really scared us. We were I remember I I, I began crying. I don't know why, I'm not ashamed to admit it. I, I, I began to cry. Um shortly followed by my brother actually, he began to cry. Neither of us knew why. We couldn't explain um why we were crying but we were scared it it was it was petrifying i'm not a huge fan of aviation i don't follow planes i don't follow anything like that but i could tell that it was something that i'd never heard of or seen or knew was out there really the craft eventually started to take over us um at which point i started my engine and began following it we began going back down the hill and the tree line began to appear again and it kind of disappeared behind the trees Um, and we could still see the light probably for another 200 yards 250 yards and the light eventually vanished and there was nothing there Um, we were still very scared I remember actually at the point of beginning my car again I, I remember looking at the clock to see if the if the time was the same because as I've alluded to previously I, I do research a lot of this stuff um, and missing time was on my mind at, at, at that time I just wanted to make sure that nothing had happened that I wasn't aware of fortunately the time was, was about right as we descended down you begin to enter our hometown of Hal's Owen um, becomes a bit more uh, populated uh, houses either side of you and in the distance you can see the church spire of Halsowin what was interesting was as we were right right on the outskirts of the town we saw this bright light in the sky just above the church probably about a mile in the distance and this light was going up and it was fading as it was going up what was interesting about it was it wasn't fading because it was going, you know, it, it, because it was it wasn't getting smaller because of the increased height. It seemed to just simply be fading out, and eventually, after about five ten seconds, it it eventually disappeared. I'm not saying that that light is in any way related to what we saw. I just find it very interesting that in the space of about a minute, we saw these two things. They could be related, but I'm not sure. Um, We were home probably about five minutes after seeing that light. And the first thing, we were both living with our parents at the time, and the first thing we did when we walked in, we were still visibly shaken 
Um, I remember having to wipe my eyes before I walked in to see my mum and dad. And we told them what had happened. And they kind of... They looked at us as if, you know, are they having a laugh? Are they mocking us? But at the same time, you could see they were slightly worried, ever so slightly. Um, What's... What pleases me is that it, that my brother was with me at the time. I'm the the UFO nut of the family. My brother very rarely shows an interest in it. I could have a conversation with him about it, but it wouldn't hold his attention for too long. Yet, yeah, I'm glad he was with me because he validated everything I saw. He saw exactly what I saw. He felt what I felt. And that allowed people like my mum and dad, I guess, to believe me a little bit more because... If I'd have been on my own, they probably would have doubted me, thinking I'd made it up because that's something I've always wanted to see. But my brother's, my brother witnessing it as well gave me a lot of credence, added a lot of credence to my story. I remember not, I couldn't get it out of my head. I rang my partner at the time and told her what what had happened. Again, she was, you know, she she was kind of humouring me, I guess. She wasn't massively interested in it and to this day she's not massively interested in the subject really it i felt alone a little bit i I spoke to my brother about it but he very quickly withdrew from the subject i'm not sure whether he just didn't have an interest in it i'm not sure whether it frightened him to the point that he didn't want to talk about it i'm not sure but he he was very he was very quiet and I felt alone. I didn't have anybody really to talk to. Didn't have anybody to turn to. Some people, you know, lent me support, of course, but it didn't quite feel like they were taking me as serious as I'd like them to have done. Um, and that that was the sighting, really. And then, really, didn't for the next few days, I, I was still shaken. And you know, even now when I think about it, I just can't get my head around what what it was I saw. Um, I've spoken to my brother a few times since about it, but nothing too deep. Um, yeah, so, I mean, in terms of what it was, I I have no idea. It's something, obviously, I've thought about quite a lot. Um, was it an alien craft? I don't know. Was it a government craft? I don't know. It was definitely something that I've never seen. Um you know, I've never seen this type of craft on a documentary. I've never seen it at an airport. I've never seen it in a film, um, unless it's a sci-fi type film. I've never seen this this craft. Yeah, so I, personally, I I'd like to think it was aliens because that's my that's a passion of mine to to research that kind of thing. Whether it was or not, though, I'm really not too sure. Um, hopefully, that's giving you. A bit of bit of an in depth um, into what it is I've I've seen. Um, interestingly, since that sighting, both me and my brother have seen more lights in the sky, shall we say, than I'd ever seen before that. Um, we both have a much more open mind now as to what it is that we're looking at in the sky. Um, so yeah, uh, that's me. Um, Thank you very much for listening to what I have to say, and uh, I'll speak soon. Thank you. This is uh, Scott Santa. I'm doing this on behalf of Ryan Sprague. 
I'm 61 years old, retired from the United States Coast Guard and disability retired from the Postal Service. I was a MUFON field investigator for 24 years before I opted out. Uh, I had an experience uh, in 1974, August, the date unknown. Uh, I was at a drive-in theater here in my local town. It was my first year of college. Not much going on that night, so I called a friend up and said, hey, let's go see these movies. Which movie they were, I can't tell you. But anyway, at the drive-in, we get to the drive-in. It was a beautiful summer evening. Stars everywhere, clear as could be. Just a just a picture-perfect summer evening. Well, we parked in the back of the uh, drive-in movie. Obviously looking for chicks and, uh, settled in to watch the movie. Well, just, uh, not too long after we got there, we got some food and stuff, got back to the car and again settled in. I noticed something out of the top of my eye and, uh, before I could react, there was this huge chevron thing <laughs> for lack of better words I want to call it a flying craft but it it came uh, from the west flying from the northwest actually to the uh, southeast <clears throat> and it came just like right over top of the uh, drive-in theater picture uh, the screen and it was its speed of advance might have been 10 miles an hour. It just seemed to float rather than fly. Uh, it wasn't bobbing, and it never deviated from its flight flight path. But it was entirely black. There were no lights, and there was absolutely no sound. I mean, there wasn't any sound anywhere. Uh, I could see people... Um, getting out of the car and pointing up, I looked at my friend Mike, and I said, are you seeing this? He said, oh, yeah, I mean, what the hell is that? We got out of the car, and we watched. Well, as as the craft, for lack of a better word, uh, after the entirety of the craft was centered over the uh, drive-in parking area, uh, all the lights went out. The movie stopped. Lights in the concession stand, all the, everything went black. It just went dark. And, and then, and that was kind of freaky. Uh, nobody was running away or panicking. And, uh, I could tell people were pointing and looking at each other, like trying to affirm that everybody was seeing what everybody else was seeing. And that was the case. Uh, about that time, um, my ears popped. I mean, they really popped, and I felt like I was in a vacuum, and the best way to describe it would be like uh, if you were walking underwater. It was, you could almost see the air shimmer uh, around you, and it was very difficult to uh, focus and difficult to hear anything. I could hear Mike. He was on the other side of the car, but I couldn't hear anything else. Yeah, well, we kind of just stopped talking to each other at that point, and we're looking up 
And this thing, um, it was so close. At least it appeared that close. Uh, I felt like I could have picked up one of the gravel rocks and hit this thing if I threw it as hard as I could. Now, this thing was huge. I mean to tell you, I'm guessing three football fields, for lack of a better word. Uh, it, it, it outflanked the length of the, uh, drive-in parking. Uh, at least it appeared to do so from my vantage point. And, uh, it was very strange. And like I said, it didn't travel fast. So we got a good look at this thing and it just kept on going again, 10, maybe 15 miles an hour. It took a long time for it to get over. And we stood there and watched it. And about the time it got to the rear end of the drive-in theater parking lot, uh, which behind it was undeveloped country back in that day. Uh, when it got to that point where it had cleared the back of the parking lot, the movie came on, the, the lights in the concession stand came on, everybody's car came on if they had it on. You could hear horns honking at this point. Um, and I watched this thing until it disappeared. It never deviated its flight path. It just kept going straight, straight, and straight. That shimmering, uh, that Oz effect, if you will, uh, ceased when it got over the back of the drive-in theater. And uh, here's where the really weird part, as weird as all that was, uh, when that I watched till it disappeared over the horizon, which might have been 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Uh, and then I just got back in the car along with Mike and we watched the movie. I remember at one point, and we never talked about it. At one point, um, I remember going to the back of the concession stand where the restrooms were and nobody said a word about this thing. Nothing. And did my business, of course, and everybody was kind of mute and mumbling, you know. And I just got back in the car with Mike. We finished the movie, at least I think we did. And we left. And I never, we we never talked about it. And that's what was weird. I would have thought that the whole place would have huddled and gathered together and tried to figure it out. Nobody said a thing. And I left. I dropped Mike off, apparently. And went home. Now, I have no idea how long that all took. Um, I don't remember looking at my watch or checking. And I'm just assuming that I, that the, that this, uh, sighting took place over a matter of 20 minutes, maybe. It could have been much longer. Uh, that's just a guess, though. I have no recall. But I do remember feeling very strange when it was over top of us. Uh, again, no lights, no sound, no spotlights, nothing. Just black. Well, I kind of forgot about it, believe it or not. And a couple years later, I uh, happened to be in a bookstore. And I saw Edward Ruppelt's book, uh, The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects, in the store. And uh, I picked that book up and thumbed through it. And when I did, it was like a floodgate opened. Bang. This whole experience came 
emerged into my consciousness and I relived it again and thought, wow. Uh, now this wasn't a saucer or anything. <laughs> this was a chevron as best I can describe it. It was not a triangle. It was a chevron. Uh, and at that point, I never looked back and I have been, uh, in UFO ufology ever since. Um, what do I believe it was? I, I, I really don't know. I gotta think it wasn't from here, uh, from planet Earth. I just, from what I remember, I gotta think it was otherworldly. Uh, I was not frightened during the whole event and I wasn't scared and Mike didn't seem to be. Of course, we never, we never exchanged feelings or anything. So, uh, it actually, when I look back on it, I'm in awe, uh, that I had the, uh, that I had the opportunity to witness something as awesome as this was. But uh, never was there a feeling of threat or uh, harm. No, that just never occurred, at least that I can consciously remember. Uh, and that's my story, basically. Uh, there's not much other detail. I have never uh, queried in the paper and asked for affirmation from anybody else in this town, uh, especially with this um the way UFOs have emerged into consciousness of the planet, basically, so much different now than when it was when I was a young punk in college. Um, but now I'm, I uh, don't think it would be too good of an idea for me to report this. And I'm not even quite sure how I would go about phrasing the question if I were to put something in the paper and ask for somebody to step forward and say, were you there? Or, yeah, I was there, but... Uh, and I'm afraid of what might come out of the woodwork. I just, I, I don't need the affirmation personally. I know, like the movie says, I know what I saw. And, uh, and that's that. Uh, again, the strange thing is, is, is the, uh, disappearance of action or remembering of the event until, until a little bit later when I was prompted by that book. Uh, so again, that's, that's my, uh, that's my story. <laughs> um, I thank you, Ryan, for listening to me and for taking this report. And, and I hope this helps somebody else along the way, um, deal with the experience. Some people may not deal with it too well. Uh, and I might add, I have never consciously have no recall of ever seeing something again. Uh, a couple of bright lights uh, moving really weird when I was in the service out in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, but never anything I could identify as a craft. But I did see lights uh, in the ocean, or I should say in the sky above the ocean that didn't act normal, zigzag, back and forth, that, that type of thing. So that was a little strange too, but... Uh, Anyway, that's it. Ryan, thank you so much. I appreciate it, and uh, I hope this helps somebody uh, deal with their event. And uh, best of luck to all. My name is Brian Smith. 
I was born in 12-12-51. I was raised in a small town of Pearl, Illinois, on Route 100, about 100 mile, 140 miles north of uh, St. Louis on the Illinois River. I had some friends that worked at the fish market, and occasionally I'd go down there. It was kind of warm that night, and uh, we were standing there alongside the river, and looking north, I saw a light coming down the river, and I thought it was a barge at first. And uh, I kept watching it, but it didn't look like a barge light. It was about where a barge light should have been, maybe a little higher. But it didn't sweep back and forth. It was just a bright point of light to look at. And it continued to move toward us down the river, toward the south. And I called Bim over there, Michael Shanks. His nickname was Bim. And I said, what is that? And he said, that's our UFO. And I said, you're kidding me. And he says, no. He said, you keep watching. It'll come down here. It'll go up over the railroad bridge right here in front of us. He said it'll turn and it'll, and it'll fly right up there over the top of the uh, power tower. We had a coal-fired power plant in town. And uh, one of the power lines ran over the top of the mine hill. There was a quarry, rock quarry, a mine in there. As we watched, this thing came down the river, came up over the bridge just like he said it would. It turned and, it, and, and, and now as it's passing us, it couldn't have been more than just, I don't know, Closer than a quarter of a mile, I would say probably close to an eighth of a mile. The railroad tracks were right by us. And it went up and hovered over this power line tower. We jumped in my 70 Charger RT and we drove up a farmer's road to get to it. We drove out into this field. It was a steep, ruddy hill that we had to go up. It was narrow. We got up there, and just as soon as we pulled into the alfalfa field where we could see it, it started to move away towards the southwest. <clears throat> it crossed over town, turned south, and headed down over Old Pearl. And we turned the car around and back down the hill, and we went down the Gasville Hill Spring, down Route 100, about a mile, and turned north, uh turned west, up a gravel road, past Gasfield Hill Spring, up onto the prairie. And we came to an intersection up there, and we stopped, and we started looking around for it. We didn't see anything but stars at that point, but in a moment, it just popped on and appeared over a field not too far from us. Uh, I would say it was probably, might have been a 100 feet off the ground. It wasn't very high. <clears throat> and we watched it, and then it flew a little ways. Uh, we were still looking west, and this disc was probably about 30 feet in diameter. Brilliant white to look at, never made a sound, and it flew off towards the south. And over time, uh, I learned that it came through three to four times a week around midnight. And we chased it several more times after that. But one night, I was with uh, another friend of mine in his mom's car. Leslie Island, and uh, we was coming from the roller skating rink that night, <clears throat> and he didn't know about this thing. I hadn't told him, and we was pulling into town, and I saw it hovering over the, uh, it was about 1130 at night, saw it hovering over the tower, and I told him, I said, get, I said, just inside the, the sandbags here, 
There's a levee that goes around the town. <clears throat> I said, pull over. We'll get out and we'll watch this thing. So we got out of the car and we're standing there watching it. And we're right in the town limits. Pearl's not very big. Had a population of around 500 back then. Uh, and it looked to me like the light was getting bigger. But it wasn't. It was coming straight at us. And it flew down and hovered just, I don't know, maybe four, five, six feet above the road, right in front of us, just a few steps from us. And we was looking toward the east at this point. It had a black area. It was narrower at the top, wider at the bottom. And uh I don't know, I would say it was, I'm going to say it was 30 feet across. But it was a deep dish saucer. It wasn't thin, but it wasn't an orb either. <clears throat> and uh I was standing there kind of mesmerized by it. I thought, oh, it's beautiful. And uh Butch was frightened by it. He jumped in the car and... In his excitement, he put it in drive instead of reverse. I just barely got out of the way, and I jumped in the car on the move. And by the time I got the door shut and he hit the brakes, I looked through the windshield, and I was looking straight up at this thing just a few feet above the uh, uh, car. And it just never made a sound. It just lifted up, went towards the south, on the same route that I'd seen it go before, and it just flew away. Now, we went home. And uh, to tell uh, my mom and dad about it, and Dad and Gina had just, my sister Gina had just uh, just come in from feeding the ponies at the farm, and they had seen it flying away too, and they was talking about it when we got there. They came in a what we called a shortcut. It was the back way to the house. We went around the long way through town. So we told them what we saw, and Gina believed me, but Dad didn't. He said, oh, it had to be a helicopter or something. I said, no, it wasn't. But uh, that's what we saw. And to me, it mesmerized me. I, I had seen it before, and I was fascinated with it. Uh, Leslie, on the other hand, he was spooked by it. He did not like it and didn't want to be around it. Certainly didn't want to be that close to it. It was definitely a flying saucer. Other than that, uh, that... That changed my life since I had been told there's no such thing as ghosts and, there's, and we was raised in a haunted house. There's no such thing as aliens or flying saucers were the only creatures that God ever made. And I found out that both were untrue. The paranormal does exist. Aliens and flying saucers do exist. And uh, I've been investigating these things since 1970. I hope that uh, everyone understands that when you see something like that, whether you believe in it or not, especially if you don't believe in it, once you see something like that, your life has changed forever. There's no, there's no going back. I grew up in the country where our light pollution was really low. Every night the sky was littered with stars. And from a young age, I began to study the constellations with my grandfather. 
and my father taught me the differences between airplanes at night versus satellites and shooting stars. There were a couple separate events that took place over the course of one summer. The first was a pulsating light the size of a star but much closer. It moved slowly from left to right, then back. It did this over the course of three days, or rather three nights. I watched it long enough, it almost began to feel like whatever I was watching knew I was watching. It was then on the third day that once it moved to its position on the right, it moves faster diagonally down to the left, then shoots off diagonally up to the right. It was so fast, when it disappeared, it was as if nothing was there. And this feeling was left over you that you just felt like you had no idea how to process. Like your eyes just had no idea what it just saw. Later on, in about the same airspace, another pulsating light traveled across the sky, about as fast as an airplane, only to shoot off at what seemed to be hyperspeed again in a way where your eyes just had no time to process what it just saw. It was then at the end of summer, and this was in 2004, that things ended up kind of crescendoing. I had a friend over and we were set up to stargaze. It was about the blue hour when the stars were just beginning to show in the sky and there was just a little bit of light left from the sun and the moon was out. And we were sitting where we had a a big rock garden full of different kinds of rocks that were like agates and stuff so it wasn't your normal gravel or stones and so it made a very distinct sound when you walked on it kind of like a ting instead of a scrape or a crunch and we began to hear these sounds that sounded like footsteps and we both ended up looking behind one another and saw nothing and our fear grew to the point where the fight or flight mode kicked in and we ran as fast as we could back into the house. And then we, you know, ran straight into our room and my room was on the very top floor. There was no way that anybody could get up to my room unless they had a ladder. And the yard was kind of at a slope and so it wouldn't have been really safe to do so anyways. So, you know... There we were, back in the house. We felt safe. We thought everything was fine. And we were sitting on the bed, and I was facing my door. My friend was facing my window. And all of a sudden, my friend, she just... She starts... She freaks out, and she throws herself on the bed. Her face is buried in the pillows. I can't get her to tell me what's wrong. And finally, when I was able to kind of have her sit up and tell me what was wrong... I saw that she was crying, which she really wasn't known to do. Um, And so she finally told me what was wrong. And all she could say was that she saw what looked like elongated fingers waving at her from outside my window. My name's Tom. I live in the UK. I'm a senior consultant at a planning and development company in the Midlands. So I've had an interest in UFOs since I was about 16. Uh, As a bit of background, myself and my best friend at the time were uh, sitting on the top of my parents' roof 
during the summer um, in the little village that I grew up in in Surrey. Um, we were just larking around, really. Perfect sunny summer's day, not a cloud in the sky. And uh, my friend pointed up to something he had seen in the sky, and I had a look. And uh, it was essentially the classic silver disc floating through the sky, probably about a mile away, but uh, very large and just just very, very strange-looking. Um, instantly knew it was something that we had we had never seen before. We couldn't work out what it was, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was moving very strangely. It was spinning, um, but moving very slowly through the sky, and it had this sort of wobble to it, which I've since that time I've seen videos of silver discs when they move slowly. They they seem to sort of wobble. But yeah, so that that got us interested, got me very interested, and um, I've been uh, sort of researching it ever since. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into it. But uh, basically, I'll, the story I want to tell you is basically one from October 2016. Um, I live in the Midlands now, but I grew up in that village I just told you about, and my parents and friends, a lot of my friends still live there, so... I was uh, I was going back at the weekend, like I sometimes do, to visit friends and family. Uh, I'd been out round my brother and his wife's house, who live about six miles away from my parents' house. Um, it's very uh, it's very countryfied place. It's all sort of woodlands and little villages and hills. It's very beautiful. So yeah, I'd been watching a movie around their house till quite late. It was, I think it was about half twelve. And I started sort of thinking about going home. So I said my goodbyes, started driving back the way I normally drive back down uh, a country sort of road, which is very straight, which runs uh, through the Surrey Hills. Same thing I do, I've done countless times, hundreds of times in the past. And as I was turning the corner to go onto this straight, heading towards the direction of my parents' house, at the end of the straight, to one side, there's a field and on the right-hand side. And then on the left-hand side, there's another field, uh, but with hills beyond that. Um, Essentially, at the end of the straight, I saw this orange pulsing light, very large, and just sort of hanging there in the sky. It looked very odd instantly, and I I was perplexed. So driving quite fast down the straight, as I started approaching this light, I realised it was just hanging 20 metres above the ground in the field to my right, and it was pulsing. It was like this sort of burnt orange light pulsing, very, very strange, very strange. Um, as I drove alongside it, I could see that the light was attached to something big and black. I couldn't see the outline of it. I just knew there was something very large and black just hanging there in the sky. Um, the pulsing orange light was just sort of mesmerizing, uh, and it, it made it very hard to see what was beyond there. But it was, um, it was, it was just very strange. So 
I started sort of getting a bit flustered, as you would, as my mind was racing, trying to think what it could be. Uh, nothing was really adding up. As I drove past it, uh, I slowed down, wound my windows down, and it, it made absolutely no noise whatsoever. But it was just sitting there in the sky, um, not far off the ground, uh, with this pulsing orange light. So obviously this blew my, my mind. I drove alongside it, like I said, I started driving past it. At that point, I was very aware that the thing had started moving. So it was kind of heading parallel with my car. So every time I was, I looked right, it was there. I drove to the end of the straight quickly, as you can imagine, starting to sort of get a bit panicky, a heart rate starting to race because it felt like this thing was had been triggered by my passing it. Uh, this at this point it was about quarter to one in the morning. Um, no one around on the roads, so I drove to the end of the straight. I sped. I know these roads like the back of my hand, so I was I was going very fast. Um, to try and shake this thing because it was starting to worry me. So I got to the end of the straight. I drove round the corner to the right. Uh, There's a few windy corners going up a little hill. But it was always there. It was always there on my right-hand side. It was moving over hedgerows. It was moving over trees. Only a little way above treetop height. But it was always there. If it was, if it, If I couldn't see it directly parallel to my right, I would look in the mirror my wing mirrors and it would be there and so I basically decided to take evasive action um so I took a a very sharp left down this little lane uh which goes past a, a special school for kids and as I was driving towards this point it was on my right over this school this uh public school golf course on the right hand side as I shot left I thought well, I, I've probably lost it. As soon as I look up the road, I notice it's above me now. Um, so I'm looking through basically the, the lane that I was driving down had trees either side um, with a sort of canopy closure over the lane, but with a tiny gap in the middle uh, where you could see through the limbs of the trees. And it was there, it was basically hovering above my car at this point. Uh, it was at this point I started to really gas it. I could sort of feel my pulse in my neck pounding. Uh, my heart was racing. I was starting to sort of really panic, actually. It was quite quite unsettling because it felt like this, this thing was following me. It, it, and it, it, to all intents and purposes, that's, that's the impression I was getting from it. Being into this field, I've read countless stories about abduction and stuff like that. So uh, you can imagine what was going through my mind. I just wanted to get home. I mean, I always thought if I saw another one, I would want to stop and I would want to look at it and I'd want to take it all in. But at this point, I, I wanted to get out of there. Um, so I drove down the end of this road. There's a lot of, it's very windy and it was always there above me, but then it sort of, it fell back or it seemed to sort of drop back a bit as I got to this T junction, which was the last, um, junction before this, uh, final road, which is a bit more well used 
towards the village that my parents live in, so the the uh, western end of the village. So I turned right down there. I couldn't see it anymore. I was like, wow, what an experience. <laughs> but that wasn't the end of it. Basically, I drove, as I was driving down this straight towards the T-junction back in the village, I could start to see the lights of the um, the uh, streetlights. As I was probably about 100 metres away from the end of this little straight towards this T-junction, I suddenly became acutely aware that it was... There was something to my right. I looked right and the, through the last few trees lining this side of the road, uh, I could see the pulsing orange light again. And it was it was coming <laughs> parallel with my car again over the, over the housetops because there's a few uh, sp- sporadically sort of located houses along that side of the road as I'm starting to sort of enter civilization again. And, um, yeah, I could see it through the trees, parallel with me again, very, very low, just above house top height, two-story house height. And it was going to cut me off. I, I knew it was going to cut me off at the junction at the end of the road. So all I could do was I, I sped up. I got to the T-junction. There's no one around. So I just stopped the car, turned it off had my windows wound down and I just waited for the thing to come over and it did it flew directly across from my right hand shoulder across and over the road and hovered at a height of must have been about 30 meters above the trees on the opposite side of the road uh, where there's a block of flats a low-rise block of flats so it was in between these trees and these low-rise block of flats and it was just sitting there but the weird thing was, as my mind was sort of boggling at this thing as it flew over and making absolutely no noise whatsoever, pulsing orange light was still there and it made it very hard to see what this thing that it was attached to was like. But my, what I remember of the shape was it wasn't a typical sort of silver disc. It looked, it had similar sort of characteristics but it looked kind of like a more like a closed shell, seashell, if you kind of catch my drift. And on the the side of the seashell that would be the sort of joint side, that side was facing me, so it tapers off behind that. It came across, and on the side that was facing me, there was this, what I can only describe as a huge window, uh, some sort of viewing gallery, um, I mean, it was probably about maybe eight or nine feet, ten feet across. In this window, I was staring at it, and I could see figures. There was a figure, the silhouette of a figure, standing at the window, looking in my direction. I couldn't see whether it was human or or what, but it had a head, two arms, and a body, that's all I can tell you about that. But I could see in the background there was stuff going on behind this figure. There were two uh, separate figures which were doing things in the background. It looked what I would sort of have thought maybe they were trying to, they were doing things conducive with operating this craft. And yeah, as it came over, like I said, it hovered above this 
uh, these trees on the opposite side of the road. I, my jaw was on the floor. I was just looking at it, trying to sort of get my head around what it, what it was I was seeing. Nothing really prepares you for that sort of uh, encounter. So I decided to floor it, you know, common sense. Now I would have got out and photographed the bloody thing. But uh, yeah, it was just one of those situations I felt in peril, essentially. And I just wanted to get back to my folks' house. So I turned right I sped off down the road. I turned round to look at this thing one last time to see what it was doing. And the last thing I saw of it, it cruised off over the top of these high, this uh, block of flats, low-rise low block of flats, and towards the field beyond it. I sped home. I couldn't get out of my car for probably 20 minutes because I was absolutely petrified. I couldn't sleep that night. When I eventually got into the house, I couldn't sleep. I was up all night. I, I was looking on the web, on the web to try and find someone to report it to. I actually found uh, a UK based, uh, investig, investigation organization called Beams, who I reported it to. They asked me to draw pictures and stuff like that, which I did. Yeah, kind of, kind of changed my life then. The next day, I spoke to my parents. They, I sort of came down stairs, looking a bit worse for wear. Uh, apparently, I was a sort of grey colour. Um, my brother had just come round, who I'd been at, at his house the night the incident happened. And um, I basically explained to them what happened. And, um, yeah, they they believed me. They know They know I'm not one to sort of talk shit essentially so um that was mad yeah that was crazy so that that stayed with me for a long time and since that time i've seen this thing definitely another two times but always at the same time the same sort of time period so it seems to be between half 12 and half one in the morning. So I don't know whether I was just on its, on its rounds, so to speak, or, or in the path of its rounds that it's doing. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen the same thing, not quite as close as that, but it's definitely the same thing, uh, which I'd be more than happy to tell you about. But, um, it's, a, it's one of those areas. It's, um, it's, it's a bit of a hot spot, I believe. Um, I'm certainly believing that. Cause I've seen these things a few times now. Plus, I had the sighting when I was 16. My f- one of my best friends, he got some good footage of these orbs which hang out under the thunder clouds um, just down the road from there. There's there's a lot of stuff going on in that area. But um, yeah, so that's that's the the main story I'd have to tell. And um, you know, it blew my mind, and has only sort of uh, made me more. Uh, interested in the subject if I was to give my opinion as to what it was whether it was ET or or one of ours I don't believe uh, we've got that sort of stuff I mean it's not impossible but uh, I just don't buy it to fly it so bold as brass and so blatantly it just doesn't make sense that it would be one of ours Plus, we've got a, our military is pretty poor nowadays. 
So <laughs> I don't know. I just don't think we'd have that sort of stuff going on. And um, the fact that it just made no noise, uh, no obvious means of propulsion, very odd looking and uh, very dark color, almost like it was kind of dark for a reason, you know, kind of blended in with the sky. But yes, yeah, so that's it. So probably 20 years ago, I was living in my hometown, which um, is a, in a fairly rural area. Uh, it's, it's you know, the town is, is getting bigger, but the area is rural. And uh, I had reconnected with my best friend from high school and was working with him. And one day we were talking about paranormal stuff around the area. And he said, hey, do you know so-and-so? Well, so-and-so was a real good friend of my dad's. Uh, we'd known the family forever. And he said, there's something happening out near his place. And I'm like, what? And he said, well, people have seen all sorts of things heard all sorts of things, and there are these lights that nobody can explain. Well, we decided that we would head out to that area. Not too far from their place was a cemetery. And we went out and parked at the cemetery and got out. And I will be real honest, I don't remember how many times we went out there before I saw something. I know it wasn't very many. The night that I first saw something, it was one of those huge, bright, full moons. And it was um, late summer, I think. Man, it was gorgeous. Just bright. I mean, almost daylight bright. That kind of moon. Standing out in the middle of the cemetery, all of a sudden this light, I don't know any other way to describe it than this light came on. It just clicked. There was no beginning. There was no getting stronger. There was no nothing. It was just suddenly this huge white pearl in the sky. Uh, it wasn't right next to the moon, but it was you know, fairly near. Near enough that it was light enough, there was no way there was anything behind it. It, it wasn't, I mean, it was perfectly still, so of course it wasn't a plane, it wasn't a uh, helicopter, it wasn't a flare, because there was nothing to it. Nothing exploded, nothing came up behind it, nothing at all. And it hung there for, I think this one was just a few seconds and just went out. No fading, no breaking up, no nothing. Just clicked on, clicked off. I had never seen anything like it before in my life. And I've seen so many different things. You know, every kind of aircraft, every kind of, of satellite, every kind, you know, everything you'd imagine I've seen. This was big. You know, if you'd held a dime up to it, it was like dime size from my point of view. I couldn't tell how far away it was. I couldn't tell anything like that. But it was a light. A light not attached to anything. A light not part of anything. Just a light. In in the times that I went back, I saw multiple. I saw uh, one or two or three. I saw three come on at once and then go off at once at the exact same time. I saw them pop on one at a time, and by the time the last one in a row gone on, the first one was going off. Not synchronized, but in that kind of, of staged effect. Never once, ever, did I see any place that this stuff came from. Any sort of... <laughs> there wasn't any... It was just a light that just turned on and turned off. Sometimes they were smaller. Sometimes they were larger. Sometimes there was one. Sometimes there was five or six. Sometimes it would be minutes in between lights. Sometimes it would be seconds. 
I've even seen it where lights would come on, go off, and then it was half an hour, an hour before more came on. So after having experienced this multiple times, I was at a conference and talked to someone who was giving a talk on phenomenon around the world. One of the phenomenon that was mentioned rang a bell. So I connected with this guy and realized that we were talking about the same thing. And after that, I was invited to actually go on the property where most of the activity had been. Now, there were other things that other people saw, but the lights were the main thing that I saw. I saw little things, but the gentleman who uh, spoke that I connected with had been out there multiple times, was out there multiple times while I was out there, did a considerable amount of research, working, uh, testing, uh, everything you can imagine, and had not, the last time that I was there and saw him, had not come up with anything. Other people had apparently been out there and had not been able to come up with anything. So definitely not something that's easy to make sense of or to figure out. It would go away for months I think it's gone away for years at a time, and then it would come back, last for years and go away, last for months and go away. There was no predicting it. All times of year, all times of night, from early dark to early in the morning. I've had the privilege to see it. I can't even tell you how many times we were going out there every weekend for, for several years. I can't explain what this phenomenon meant to me or did to me. I would walk down into the field by myself and just look up and watch these lights. I felt something. I felt... I'm not saying these were aliens. Absolutely not at all. It it didn't even seem like that, although people had experiences with craft and things of that nature in this whole area, not just this land. But this felt in my soul like an intelligence reaching out to me. It was profound. It was magical. It was, it moved me to my very core then. And the thought of it can move me to my very core now. Just a bunch of lights in the sky, but they were amazing. Perfect, round pearls of light that would appear and disappear without a sound or a movement or a shadow or a mark. Amazingly perfect signs of something that we needed to pay attention to. I just wish that I had been there for the rest of the message. <laughs> and not just the first part. It's been 20 years. I hope I see it again someday, although I'm I'm far, far away from there now. I hope that someday I get the answer. Me and my wife were both musicians. Um, we were playing a gig that night out in the suburbs of Chicago, and we were driving to that gig, um... It was probably around 5, 6 in the afternoon. It was still daylight out. And if you ever lived or have been to Chicago, you know that usually, no matter where you're driving, there's a a lot of cars all around you. We were driving along, I can't remember which highway it was, uh, maybe Highway 290. Is it 290 or 295 or 294? I can't remember. Anyways... It was pretty much bumper-to-bumper traffic, except the traffic was flowing at about between 45, 55 miles an hour. And so it was a nice steady flow. 
and we're driving. I'm driving the car this time, and she, my wife's in the passenger seat. And I look up and ahead of in traffic, and I saw this black balloon descending out of the air. I had no idea where it came from. It was just, you know, I just looked, and it was just there. And it's descending towards traffic. And I, I kind of nudged my wife and said, hey, check out that balloon up there in front of us. I don't know why I felt the urge to tell her about it, but I just had this weird feeling about it. And she looked in the sky and goes, oh, that's just an airplane. And I go, no, 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 not the airplane, because there was an airplane in the sky. I said the balloon out in front of us, because this balloon was descending towards traffic, and she saw it, and she was like, oh, well, that's weird. And we're watching it, and it's getting close to the cars at this point. And my wife was, like, getting a little concerned. She's like, oh, no, it's going to go into traffic. And... I said, you know, that's not a big deal. It's just a balloon. You know, the wind from the traffic is going to blow it back up in the air and it's going to flip around and do its balloon stuff. Not a big deal. Don't worry about it. So uh, right when it's about to, like, hit that point, when it's about to, you know, flip back up in the air, I'd say we're, you know, a good three to four cars back from this thing. And we're both watching it, waiting for it to go back up in the air. Except that's not what it did. It came down and went right above a car in the far left lane. And it stopped right above the roof. I mean, like, I mean, maybe a foot above the roof at the most. Two feet, maybe. I don't know. But not that far from the roof. And when it got there it stopped and it like locked onto the car I don't know how else to say it like it started tailing the car okay and you have to understand that all the wind and everything did not affect this thing it was like it was attached to some sort of you know rod or something that would be attached to the roof of the car that's how still and how right in line with this car it was. It's was just tailing it. It was matching its speed. Remember, we're going 45, between 45, 55 miles an hour. And it matched every movement of this car going around the turns. And right then I was just like, oh man, what the, what the hell is going on? And then I watched it ascend back up in the air. But when it went back up in the air, went straight up in the air and it was still keeping pace with the cars underneath it it was still going at the same speed and going straight in the air I mean straight no weeble wobbling or anything like that and the wind didn't affect it okay and it went to the right to the next car over and then it descended again and started tailing the next car next to it the same thing as it was doing the other car keeping pace with it not moving not budging it just stayed there and after it did that for a while it rose back up in the air straight and it kind of stopped 
tailing the car, meaning that like it stopped going 45 to 55 miles an hour. It was like it was done with it, you know, and stopped going with the speed of traffic. And at that point, when it was rising in the air, we drove right underneath it, like directly underneath it. And me and my wife both looked up in the air at it, and I saw it up close. It wasn't this wasn't some light in the sky thing this was in broad daylight up close it was not that that high above our car when we drove underneath it and it was a solid black ball round ball it was solid there's no wings no exhaust no propellers nothing no means of any propulsion on it it was aerodynamically impossible. How does a solid round ball with none of those features even do anything, let alone do and maneuver in the way that it did without any kind of turbulence or air or anything affecting its movement? Like, it was like... It was... I don't know, it, it was like outside of everything, you know, I don't know how else to say it, kind of like, you know, like you hear about maybe it was warping the space-time or gravity around it or something like that, maybe there's some sort of bubble it was in that everything else just it didn't affect it, I don't know, but <sighs> I don't that's all I have to say. The only other thing I can think of is if it was maybe some sort of mesh material that was so woven so tightly that it appeared like it was solid, like it was a solid black. But even then, that still wouldn't be, it wouldn't be able to do what it did. It wouldn't, that that would indicate maybe there were propellers inside of it. But like, like if it was mesh, a mesh wiring or or fabric or whatever that was so tight that it appears completely solid and I mean solid black just a solid object that it would there's no way that there's no way it could do what it did you know what I mean there's no way as we drove under it and was you know we got past it and I really want I wish I could have just kept looking at it but I had to drive you know I couldn't wreck the car and I was just sitting there thinking I I didn't see that that didn't happen I was like trying to like pretend like it didn't happen and then I looked at my wife and she started screaming and going what the hell was that and just yelling at me and that was when I was like okay I did see that I'm not making that up that just happened (laughs) and we went to the gig and we went one of my my other bandmates and good friend of ours was there and we looked at him and we go we think we just saw a ufo on our way here and he just kind of looked at us and smiled and gave a little <laughs> laugh and that was it we just didn't talk about it after that and we went on for night played the gig had a good time and then afterwards I got on the internet you know to try and I just did a, a search for you know, s- s- circle drones or spheric- spherical drones, and I found 
a video of this, of a thing that the Japanese government made, the sort of drone that they made, where it was a circle, but it was a wire frame. Like you could see the propellers and the in the the different like little wings and things to help it move around inside. You could see the in, inner mechanics of it. It was not not the same thing as I saw. There, it wasn't solid at all. It was wide and open. It was just like, if I remember correctly, it was just like two like circle rims. It was an open thing. It wasn't solid black. And I, like I said, I could see the propellers in it. And this thing moved very, very similar to what we saw. It was the closest representation that I could see to tell, kind of show someone like what we saw. But it wasn't that drone. There was a little bit, you know, you could tell that this drone still, like, it's, it's like a helicopter or any other kind of propeller type of mechanism that has to obey the laws of physics, you know? Like, there's little bobs and weaves in the way that it moves. It can't just go straight up and over and down. Like, the thing that I saw moved, it was moving in straight lines, direct straight lines. There was no kind of, I don't know how I'll describe it. Uh, so that was the only anything that I could find remotely close to it. And like I said, it wasn't it. Um, a couple other things that happened is we, we reported it to the police. We, we called the police and they got mad at us. <laughs> we, we tried to be completely honest with them, but they, thought we were trying to pull a prank on them and they um, scolded us a bit and they said to us sir there are things that we do that protect you that you don't know about and all this stuff and I was kind of like yeah but not this and you know that went nowhere I even made a report to MUFON and they I don't know what I was expecting really to get from them they are pretty worthless because I, I gave, I wrote out a report form and I got an investigator guy and I told the story just like I told you. Even like in the beginning, I said I thought it was a black balloon at first until it moved this way. Then obviously it wasn't a black balloon. And the only response I got back from the guy was, oh, it must have been a black balloon. <laughs> so I pretty much wrote him back and I. I don't think I was very nice. I tried to be nice, but I was like, listen, buddy, you're you're worthless, so just forget about it, <laughs> basically. You know, I feel bad for kind of being rude, but it, I was just frustrated. <sighs> and that's pretty much it. All I know is I witnessed a technology that did operate in a way that it shouldn't have operated. It's a technology that to me from my limited understanding defied the laws of, of physics well let me say it defied our current understanding of physics I should say or at least there's more to the picture than we know obviously and from that point on I, w I had to face the fact that that there's stuff out there that we don't know about that that we call UFOs and they're in our sky and they can do things that our technology can't and I don't know that's enough for me to, to you know I, I don't know who's flying them I don't know where it came from 
but it's not hard to extrapolate from what I do know for a fact. Although it's not definitive that I will be correct on what I think it may or may not be, but we can I think I can safely say it's pretty exotic, whatever it is. And whoever is controlling it and made it, who is able to do those things, is also probably pretty exotic. So, you know, the world just became a really strange place. So, that's my experience with the black ball. in the Adirondack Park of northern New York. It's kind of a quiet, picturesque kind of place. Uh, If there's one town that stands out just by reputation, it's Lake Placid, just because it was the site of the Miracle on Ice in 1980. Other than that, the area is kind of unremarkable. It's, It's beautiful in its landscape. You're surrounded by mountains, you're surrounded by trees, and it's a, a lot of beauty to take in, really. Um, And where I live, it's a very dark and secluded place. It's a town of about 5,000 people. And we have an observatory. There isn't a, a ton of light pollution up here. But when I moved to the town I live in now, which was about almost nine years ago, uh, strange things started to happen. For for about four years, you could see this object in the sky at night. I don't know what it was. I know it wasn't a satellite, and I know it wasn't a plane. But nearly every night, you could see this red or white light in the sky flying usually lower than what an airplane would. It made no sound. It would just fly in this slow manner over the town. And if you talk to people around town, they would tell you that they had seen it, that they didn't really think much of it. Um, Some friends, I remember, took Snapchats and were like, oh, hey, look, it's a UFO. And that's kind of how many of them look at it, and that's how I look at it. I don't know what it was. Uh, But I do believe that I actually saw this during the day. Three years ago, in June of 2015, I was at work, and it was about 10, 10.30 in the morning, and a friend had come down to grab me to go out for a break. It was stuffy. I do the laundry at a medium-sized nursing home. So in the room where I am, it's really stuffy, like, all the time. At first, I turned him down for it. I had a lot of work to do at the time, and I didn't see the point. But he kind of just kept relenting. He was like, dude, just come on outside. You know, it'll be fine. So I relented, and we went outside. Uh, And where we take our breaks, it's technically off the property because as a nursing home, it's uh, under, like, hospital rules, so you can't smoke on the property. So we're standing on this corner and there's a house adjacent to us 
we're just talking, you know, shooting the breeze and all that good stuff. Uh, we always just talked about, you know, music or whatever was happening in our lives or whatever. And all of a sudden, I just looked up. And the sky was... It was bright blue that day. I, you know, remember it clearly. There was no clouds in the sky. But there was this really strange object. If I had to describe it, it would be as if you took an egg, turned it on its side, blew it up, like... 300 times the size of what a normal egg would be, you threw it up in the air and you somehow got it to stick and fly there. That's literally what it looked like. It had a white color to it. It wasn't reflective at all. And it was moving parallel to where we were standing. And it was moving in that slow pace that that object we've been seeing for years and years was moving and we both looked up at it and we just stood there that was the odd thing we didn't jump around proclaiming hey look at this ufo hey everybody get a get a look at this ufo that's not what happened we just stood there and we watched it it was like i said moving in that slow pace parallel to where we were standing it didn't seem like it was at a high elevation but I really couldn't be too sure um, it kind of lo- it, it was large it was really large whatever it was and we just didn't want to take a picture of it and I can't wrap my head around that to this day why didn't we want to take a picture of this was it doing something to us that made us calm that made us not even think about taking a picture we had phones on us we both had phones on us and yet and yet none of us took a picture it was so weird and i still ruminate on this on it this you know today as the object was moving closer to where we were all of a sudden it stopped in the middle of the air it turned a full 90 degrees and then it started flying away from us at the same slow pace that it had been moving at whatever it was it was it was kind of nonchalant it did what it wanted to do and to this day i don't know how to describe this experience I haven't talked to my friend in a long time, but I've always wanted to kind of get in touch with him again and talk about this. You have one of the most incredible experiences of your life, and yet you don't want to document it. Why? Is is there something deeper to that? Is there something deeper to this experience that I don't get? Uh, But that sighting has had a lasting impact on me I read UFO books all the time I have a UFO podcast I think about UFOs and what they are and why are they here why do people see them I think about this stuff all the time all because some egg shaped object 
was in the sky this one day, and I happened to see it. And I think another interesting aspect of this is that one of the cases that has always fascinated me is Lonnie Zamora's sighting. It's kind of how I started looking into this stuff. And he reported seeing an egg-shaped object. And I reported seeing an egg-shaped object. We both reported egg-shaped objects. And in kind of a way, it's a connection to him and his sighting. The sighting that has had such a lasting impact on me. So, that's my UFO sighting. This has been about 10 years ago. Not far from where I used to live. I was going down this. It's a long road. A long winding road. And the guy that I used to live with for nine years, I was following him. It was it was, it was was night, okay? I was following him. He was in front of me. We're on the same road. And then we come up to this place. And it's like it's like a pond on the right. I've been going down this road since I was a teenager, okay? So I was a kid. But on the right, there's this pond. And there's some houses that surround it. And it's kind of wooded. But you can see the pond, and I was driving up through there. It's like a clearing, and I see this triangle of lights. It looked like, I I was like, what is that? Is that a plane? But it was right above the trees, and I was like, what is it? It was just like, it wasn't, it was moving real slow, like super slow. Like, and I'm like, what is that? (laughs) And it was like, these lights were like going around it, and it was like, it, it looked triangular to me. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, uh, why doesn't this guy see, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm like, he takes, he's still going normal. And I, I pull over at a church because I roll my window down. I'm like, why don't I hear anything? You know, if a plane's that close, you're going to hear it. Okay. It was right above the trees. And I'm looking up there, you know, then I got out of my car and I was looking at it. I'm like, how did he not stop? And see, that thing is it. I, maybe everyone can't see them. Maybe just certain people can see them. Maybe they're just don't. I don't know. Maybe I don't know why he didn't see that, or maybe he just stupid and didn't see it. But um, I jumped back in my car because I thought, oh, oh, you know, you hear about people being abducted and stuff. I'm like, this is weird. I'm leaving. And I, when I got found, when we finally got home, he was there. I said, did you not see that thing? How could you not see that? He didn't see it. He did not even see it. I'm like, uh. It's, <laughs> I'm not seeing things. It's right there. Uh, it was very big, and um, it was pretty big. It's probably big as a house. The, the the width of it, I couldn't see the top. I just saw the bottom part of it. There's like a black thing with this, this is these um, different colored lights going around it. So that's my UFO story. <laughs> Take it any way you want to. It's what I saw. I'm not making this up. This really happened. Um, I don't know. Could it have been like a like a hot air balloon? Or could it have been one of those drone things? I don't know, but it was so big. I really thought it was a plane. But it um, it was right above the trees, and that's not too far up. And it's going to make an, it made no, no noise at all. So um, that's it, y'all. My name is uh, Joseph Corey. I am uh, 49 years old. I'm about to tell you a story that happened to me when I was 22 years old. At the time, I was living overseas in um, Sydney, Australia. I married very young. We had our very first born, and we had moved out on our own after living with my wife's parents 
for at least a couple of years. So we moved out on our own and we got ourselves an apartment, which wasn't really that far away from my work, about a 15-minute drive in Sydney. This one evening, like any other evening, we would, I would get up early because I worked a night shift at a gas station, very similar to like uh, a fast track in, in, the, in the States. And my shift used to start at 10 o'clock in the evening till 8 o'clock in the morning. So I would get up early, have something to eat, and then my wife would pack me some food to take with me to work in case I want to have something to snack on through the, through the night. Well, I left the apartment that evening after saying my goodbyes and grabbed my lunch and started my vehicle. And uh, I started heading to work. I was probably into my drive, maybe about seven, eight minutes into my drive. I'd come to a, a light, which, you know, I had to come to a complete stop. Uh, a very, like a, like a cross-intersection highway. And uh, as I'm looking, waiting for the lights to change at a distance, I noticed something that was moving to my right above the highway bridge that I've got to travel over. And I noticed that, um, am I the only person seeing this? Like, like nobody else had, would notice it. I, I noticed the whole thing, that it was happening right in front of my own eyes, that there's something moving above the traffic. And it was illuminating some really weird, strange-looking lights. The more I looked at it, the more curious I became. Like, this is, this is really weird. Like, how could this be? What, what is it? I don't hear a sound. I don't hear anything. My window was down. I don't hear anything. It's not a helicopter. It's not an airplane. What is it? So as the light changed, I started going through the gears like a maniac, trying to speed up to catch up with it as it's passing over the, the bridge, which it's kind of almost veering to my left, heading in the direction to where I work at the service station. Well, I got up there and it already passed. I couldn't see it anymore. This had happened probably between 9.30, 9.45 in the evening. Anyhow, I got into the area and I got up ahead of it as fast as I can. And I come to a stop to see if whether it passed me or did I get ahead of it. So I stopped the vehicle and I stood in the street looking around. And as I'm looking around, there it was. Now it's coming right towards me. If anything, it really scared the heck out of me. So I stood by the telephone pole staring at it. And it was as high as the treetops above the telephone pole as well. Like in line, maybe a couple feet, maybe 20 feet above the treetops. So I estimate probably about 125, 150 feet in the air. No sound, okay? I'm very mechanically inclined. I didn't hear any sound, nothing. All I could see was lights emanating from underneath this, this vessel. Confused and scared, I made the sign of the cross. I even pinched myself. Am I really seeing what I'm seeing? But still, again, confused. I didn't know what it was. Now, it, it kept moving. As I kept staring at it, it started to make my eyes water because I'm more curious and more curious to know what it is. So then as it passed me, it was heading in the direction. So I figured, heading in the direction to where I work. So I figured if I hopped in the car and got there real quick, maybe I can get somebody else to see it, like one of my workers. I get there and my fellow worker was outside taking meter readings at the pumps. I drove in like a maniac, 
car running, open door, jumped out. I said, you got to see this. And the guy's name at the time was Robin. What are you doing? What? What are you doing? I said, listen, you got to come and look at this. Something, I don't know what it is, but it's going to come right over us. So I pulled him away from the, the awning of the hangar of the, where, the, where the pumps are. And, you know, right in front of us there, there's a highway that cars are going back and forth. I told him, keep looking up. It's got to come this way. He said, what am I looking for? I said, look up. It's going to have to come this way. And before you know it, it was like right over our head. We're both standing there in shock. He's like, what the heck is it? These lights that were illuminating out of the underneath belly of this vessel were like rainbow colors coming out. Like like if you took a cone, that, uh, the cones that they put on the street and you shoved them into something, and now at the base of them, these rainbow colors were coming out. There was three of them on this vessel. And it was just moving real slow, like with the wind, as if, as if it was just gliding with the wind, not a sound. And then it disappeared into the darkness towards the city, between two buildings, above the buildings, just right through there. And that was the end of it. I never believed in anything like this, UFOs or... When this happened, it really woke me up. It, like, it really changed my whole life. If anybody was skeptic about this, it would be me. If anybody brought anything up about this kind of thing back then, I would tell them you're crazy. It's not true. It's evil. It's you can't believe in anything like that. There's only us on this in this world in this universe, and that's it. But when this happened to me, that is something I'll never forget. It was just something very unbelievable. I've been living with this for the longest time. I've told a few people about it over the years, but it's something I'll never forget. So I told my cousin about it, and he thought I was crazy. Later that morning, there was a, a newscast on the radio. I was putting things away in the gas station, mopping up, cleaning up, getting ready to leave in a couple hours. So I've got to give this shift to the next person, you know, pretty much organized in there. And I had told my cousin about it earlier that night, and he, like I said, he said I was nuts. Well, the news newscast at 6 o'clock in the morning stated that they had several hundred sightings that evening over Sydney, Australia, where police, you know, uh, people from hospitals, all walks of life reporting that there was a UFO sighting in Sydney. And right there, it confirmed everything to my cousin, and he believed every word I said after that. And me, it made a believer out of me and changed my whole life. Thank you. I wanted to share with you my... Um experience my encounter with an UFO as I was a kid. Um, I was maybe between 9 and 12 years old and I was with my parents um, at a vacation at the Adriatic Sea in um, Croatia on the island Rap in town Rap. You can google it and see where that is and you can also see how beautiful this place, this old town is. It was uh, around 92, 94. I don't know the exact time because I was there with my parents like five, six times on vacation. So I don't exactly know which time it was. It was just once and I never, at the beginning after the encounter, I didn't share it right then. I was pretty young and, and nobody saw it next to me. I was the only one looking up and uh, the whole encounter went like between seven and nine seconds. After that, I looked down and nobody shared the, the sight I, I, I was witness. It was uh, evening 
and we just had dinner in the restaurant and uh, I finished my meal and I looked up and in this moment I something something flew from the right side into my into my view into my sight and it was so fast that I didn't even um, see it moving it was just so fast I had the feeling it came from the right side it came from the right horizon of my sight and uh, it stopped immediately it was like zzzzpam and then it, it started to make a zigzag pattern it had made a zigzag up and down and somewhere and then again it uh, it was so fast um, going out of my sight on the left side that I didn't could I could not follow it to the left it was just the the feeling you know that your eye can better um, register register movements than uh, than colors it was so fast I just felt it went left but it stopped immediately from the encounter and then made a zigzag pattern with uh, angles of, of 30 uh, lower than 45 degrees it was it was just the maneuvers this this uh, this thing flew was unbelievable it had this typical ufo shape it was burning orange red uh, yellow light and um, even it maybe it was a natural phenomenon anyway it was uh, breaking some physical rules it was shattering what we knew what I then didn't knew I saw something breaking Newton's laws breaking the laws of, of gravity by an object just uh, flying angles of 30 degrees making a zigzag pattern in the sky in an unbelievable speed so the question is how could anything fly like that anything that has a mass and you move it in some speed you do not even can make a 90 degree angle uh, not speaking of uh, a 30 degree angle of a zigzag pattern in this speed unbelievable and the second question is uh, with what was it fueled what energy source was it what got it moving so fast and it stopped you remember it stopped and then flew again these unbelievable speeds because of this experience I still are waiting for things like anti-gravity technology and I also wait like for uh, zero point energy now of course I didn't knew that before and I'm not uh, saying like it's for sure that this exists I just have can now put it different in consideration than because I'm also a critical mind uh, as somebody that didn't didn't make this experience this encounter I understand that he said Mario I I studied physics and I, I cannot believe what you are saying maybe you were hallucinating or um, it is some other other phenomenon one uh, you can explain on a different way we just don't know it now it was as clear as when you see a bird flying in front of my eyes it was it was burning orange red yellow light and it flew with an unbelievable velocity with an unbelievable speed and made maneuvers you cannot explain in a zigzag pattern and the whole encounter was like uh, nine seconds long how would you travel when you have anti-gravity and multi-dimensional traveling and um, 
zero point energy or something like that what that will mean for our travel it will be something totally different you cannot uh, think um, aligned with what we know with our rocket fuel this is amazing amazing thought imagine one day not just to be able to see beauty like beauty from our nature here to also one day see a totally totally different world of course i believe in in uh, existence after after the physical death and that we cannot imagine what 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 kind of mesmerizing life is awaiting us there what kind of love peace and whatever awaiting awaiting us but it would be unbelievable if even now as long as i live one day could be taken to another dimension or um, to see the stars On the night of 1997, I believe it was August, uh, I don't remember the exact date, but I do remember it was in August and it was in 1997. Uh, my family was sitting down, it was about 9.30 at night, and we were watching uh, one of our favorite movies, which was Clear and Present Danger with, uh, with Harrison Ford. And I remember this like it was yesterday. Now, let me say this, even if I was a skeptic of UFOs, I probably still would remember this because it stands so clearly out in my mind and it was such a weird feeling uh, that you get. So I went ahead and uh, was watching this movie with my family. Everybody in the house was in the house watching the movie. It's not like we were separated. Uh, we were all enjoying family time together. Uh, the next thing we knew, the power went out. And this is about 9.45, almost 10 o'clock at night. And the power completely went out. We're just like, well, what the hell was that? So my dad goes uh, and grabs the flashlight. And he's like, well, I wonder if it's just, you know, our section of the neighborhood. So we open up the blinds and look out. And all of the houses behind us, the only thing that's on is streetlights. And streetlights run on a separate grid so that they're on in case of a power outage. Uh, so I was like, well, that's not that big of a deal. So, so maybe somebody hit a power line. So we didn't really think that much of it. And then we went to the back, the front side of the house. This is a, our, our living room actually was butted up towards the back of the house. And so you had to go through the front area, the living area and through the dining area to get to the front of the house. And uh, we lived really closely to uh, a lake. We lived across the street from a lake. So we had a pretty much no houses in, that had built on the uh, the lakefront. So you could clearly see across the lake. And the house was up high enough where you had a very good vantage point. So uh, looking out, my dad's like, what the hell? Across the lake was completely blacked out. It was blacked out within... And that that's at least a mile across the lake uh, from our house to the, the, the road beyond the lake. So we're looking around and we're just like, it's completely black outside. I mean, there's there's no light except for the streetlights and streetlights out in my area. We're not very there wasn't a whole bunch of them. So it wasn't casting a lot of, you know, excessive like noise pollution uh, or light pollution, I should say. And so uh, my dad's like, well, I'm going to go outside and see if I can hear sirens because maybe maybe somebody hit a power pole or whatever transformer blue. So we should be able to hear that they're getting ready to show up to clear up the situation. So we step outside and it's just real eerie quiet. There's not really much noise. And th by no means did we live out in the middle of nowhere. This this was a very well populated area. Uh, and so we're just sitting there and then we hear this hum now. I don't know how to explain the hum. The hum is, um, 
I would consider it like a, mm, but a very, very, very faint hum. It's not real loud. This is not, this is not a sound that you're like, holy shit, I can hear that so well. It's not like that. It's, you you kind of hear it, but you feel the vibration kind of in your body. You can feel it. And I'm like, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid. I'm about maybe 13, 14. And I look at my dad and I'm like, dad, what the hell is that sound? He's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that sound is. And we try to kind of like walk around and like kind of turn our head and stuff. And we're kind of trying to figure out where the hell this sound is coming from. And to the right of us is another house, but it's separated by big giant trees. And it's about 200, 250 yards away from our, this, this is, this was a development, but it was a very slow developing area. So there was a lot of open space and lots and stuff. And this was a really big house, but it was very far away from us. And they had this separating tree line. And at the top of the tree line, you could see that maybe 40 to 50 feet above the tree line, which the trees are probably 40 to 50 feet themselves. So we're talking about maybe 110, 120 feet in the air is this orb. And when I say orb, I don't mean like, a light ball. I mean like this shape and the, the shape that I can explain to you is it was a flat plane with lights that were going synchronously around it. They were constantly, you could you, at the angle that you were at, because it was up high, you could actually see the lights come from one side, then go around the other. So it was almost like it was a, a elliptical shape and that elliptical shape was what really freaked me out. I mean, if it was just lights up there, it would have freaked me out, but I was freaked out. Now, just a little bit of backstory on my father. My father was in the U.S. Navy. He was a uh, a hull tech for the Navy. And so he'd been around a lot of planes, a lot of ships, a lot of in technology. Of course, this is not the same era that he was in the military. But, you know, he expects to explain what it is because he knows that the military has jets and all this stuff. And we're sitting there and we're just like gawking at this thing. And it's not moving. It's just sitting quietly still. A uh, very faint hum, like I said, and the light strobing around it, which really was the big thing for all of us. We're like, holy crap, that's a UFO. Like, in, it's not one of those things where you're automatically just going to go, it's a UFO, you know, looking at it and seeing it sit completely still. And the distance that it was from us, there was my dad's like, that's not a plane. That's not a helicopter. And I said to him, I was like, well, dad, what do you think it is? And he's like, I don't know what it is. He shined his light up. And it was too far away to really see anything with the light. But when he shined it up, it was almost like he was like, well, I'll just shine on. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I shouldn't do that. So he, he shined it directly at it and then moved it away very, very quickly and was like, let's get in the house. It freaked my dad out. And for it to freak my dad out, it freaked me out even more because I was like, well, if dad can't explain it. You know, what the hell is it? And so I, I, I sat there and probably about four hours later, the power came back on. Now, a lot of people are probably going to be like, oh, well, it was just somebody who hit a power line. Well, the problem is, is I talked to somebody later on down the road and the person had pretty much told me that these grids are set up within blocks and so that the power doesn't go across the board, they're split. So from the lake to us is a power grid and on the other side of the lake is a power grid. So there's no way that it would have knocked all that power. There's, it's impossible. And I know where the transformer was. And I know that a, a single pole getting hit wouldn't have caused it all to go out at the same time. So it was very peculiar. And even the guys that I talked to that were for the power company, uh, this is about two or three years later, I asked him, I said, you guys remember that year? And he's like, yeah, because we couldn't figure out what it was. We don't, we don't know what took the power grid down. We don't know. 
And we didn't stay outside to figure out what it was. And we didn't stay outside to see how long it lasted for uh, the, the UFO. We don't know how long it stayed there for. So to say that, that the power turned on, you know, as soon as we went back in the house, that didn't happen. So we don't know how, why the power was going out and we don't know how long it lasted for as far as the UFO staying there. And I know that there's a couple of people in my neighborhood that actually put reports out because they saw the same thing we did. And we don't, we don't really, it wasn't something that people wanted to talk about because if you're like, eh, just kind of be quiet about it, you know? So a very strange thing. And, and I'd also read in a lot of the research that I'd done about UFOs that a lot of the times they shut the power out. They shut off power grids and they, uh, it's almost like they absorb the, the uh, surrounding power in that area. And so I thought it was very, very bizarre. It was a very interesting day to say the least, uh, a very scary night. And so that's my, that's my little story of, of the interaction that I had and the UFO sighting that I had. And it's not the most glamorous. I didn't get to see a being. I didn't get to see, you know, a crap ton of structure. I just got to pretty much see the lights. And it was very dark. Of course, with the power going out, it was even darker. But it was still enough that it sticks out in your mind and you remember that stuff. So my UFO experience was quite different. It was back when um, Freddie Mercury um, had passed away and they were doing that massive uh, tribute to Freddie Mercury uh, in London. Now, the only reason I remember that as a kid was because uh, I, I remember the concert being on my parents' TV. Anyway, so it was that day when it happened. It's kind of weird because it's kind of like... It, 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 it's kind of like a faded memory. I've only got bits of the memory. I haven't got... I don't know if I've got the whole day. I've definitely only got bits of the memory of the nighttime and the evening. So anyway, to cut a long story short, this is as best as I remember it right now. We had a landing in our house where there was a side window where it looked in between two other houses, in a sense, but there were, there were, it, it was looking onto a street. But, you know, if you stared straight out, you would see in between two houses. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I remember being caught upstairs or how I saw it, but I remember looking out this window and seeing this silver-shaped disc object just hovering in between the two houses. And it was... It, the, the weirdest thing was, there was no reference for it. Do you know what I mean? There was there was absolutely nothing to sort of in my brain to be able to work out what the hell that was except for it did look like a classic ufo saucer shaped object and what i remember is hmm see this is where it gets really strange because i just don't remember much but i remember somehow we were all aghast by looking out the side window when i say we all my family you know they they must have got word of what was going on or you know one had called me up and and all the rest came up to see it i don't know i really don't know but what i do remember is i remember going out the front of my house and there was no one there as in like neighbors which that was not that odd but there were no cars there were no birds there was no sound that's i remember i think i remember that i think i remember that there was no sound but yet again this was years ago and my memory is quite faded do you know what i mean 
But I don't think there was. I don't think there was any sound. I'm not too sure which one of my family members was outside with me, outside the front of the house. I, I can't remember. But... I think I remember the object that was in between the houses being almost directly over us at that point. And it was like time had frozen and stood still and it was just me and my family that were observing this thing the next bit I remember was a bit later on it was still light and I was out the back garden because someone had shouted us out there and there were all these orbs they seemed to be orbs, I don't know what they were Lots of them just moving around in the sky again. I don't know how long this ha- this went on for. I don't know how many of them there were. It seemed like many, very high up in the sky, and it's, it seemed to that memory seemed to go on for a little bit. But again, I don't know how sequentially this fits into the next part. I'm going to tell you because I don't remember how that progressed on. Now maybe that's just poor memory maybe the orbs in the sky were not anything ET you know it could be a number of things so then this is where it gets weird the next big memory that I remember is we was all in my bedroom my family and I were all in my bedroom now I think I'd called them up because this this cigar shaped object was going past my bedroom window huge bloody thing with ultra weird writing on the side that looked I don't know it it wasn't English it wasn't it wasn't like even I don't know what it was it was these weird symbols on the side it's almost like it floated past and disappeared like it blipped in and it then faded and blipped out now again I'm sure my parents' recollection of that and my sister's and my brother, well, one sister and one brother, is different to the way that I'm remembering it. So, that memory stayed with us. Those memories stayed with us for a while. But what was really unique was um, the next day there was still... My my sister and my mum, because I wasn't there, said they saw more UFO UFO activity outside uh, our house. And the weirdest thing was... All these years later, and I I said, pity I can't show you this, but my sister's got it. She drew a picture and she dated it. And it was a number of years ago when I asked her to see the picture. This is like 10 years ago I asked her to see the picture. On this picture, as a kid, she drew the UFO that we saw between the two houses. And she dated it. So that's what she saw back as a kid. Now, the reason... I got her to show me that picture was because back in 2002 or 2003 I can't remember when I was in Los Angeles and before I got to Los Angeles I'd read this book by Dr. Bruce Goldberg called Past Lives, Future Lives and he's a regression yeah, regressionist and also progressionist so he takes people into past lives he takes people into future lives booked an appointment to see him and got a past life regression on that event, on that day. Now, I had a, 
a bit more than that done with him, but we're just talking about this right now with him. And the difference was, when we were all outside seeing the orbs in the sky, and then the next most significant memory was myself uh, lying naked on this cold table, it felt like, and all these... beings around me, like small beings, uh, and, and I, I, I remember being petrified, and then this this taller being came in and, and calmed me down and said, uh, everything's alright, you know, don't panic, don't worry, and I felt very at ease, I, I don't know what they were doing, I, I, I don't know much about what happened except for the next most significant thing was they were telling me that I was always going to be watched and I was one of them and was going to do some important stuff that mattered and I'm personifying things here I mean you know a lot of people listening to this are going to think um well you know it's regression you know you're just making it up you want that experience to have happened and that's exactly how I feel but like the regressionist said to me as I got out of the chair I said I've just made all that up and he said to me yep that's what they all say then in the regression the next most significant thing was when we saw that cigar shaped object coming past my window basically I saw myself being moved into position to stand next to my parents and my brother they were all paused they were all like frozen and I was being ushered in to stand next to them and they I think I must have stood still and and then maybe I froze and from whatever they did to me and the next minute I just we was all back in that memory of we're all in my room and seeing this cigar shape going by but I mean it makes no sense to me what I'm saying except for they put me back there at that moment but then did they Am I, you know is, is that you know is that something I made up in the regression I don't know I don't know why I'm even sharing this story it's just I think I've had too many people come to me recently that are pretty serious people and they've seen something and they can't explain it and there'll be lots of people who have seen something and will never talk about it because you know they'll be um, they'll feel very stupid to talk about it I can't really say I feel stupid talking about it I'm just reporting back what came from the regression and if I've made it up well that's okay but I don't know I don't know if I did but I'm open-minded but anyway so there you go Uh, and there's my story and I'm glad I've shared it Hi, my name's Simon Tett I'm uh, 56 years of age I live in Cape Town, South Africa and um, just to relate my UFO experience um, that I had last year um, before I start I'd just like to say that my interest in UFOs started uh, in the mid-1980s I was born in the UK um, and I went back to visit family there in the mid-1980s and my aunt gave me a book on the um, Barney and Betty Hill abduction case 
I'd never heard of uh, heard of it before, and it was a fascinating book to read, and uh, that got me interested in in UFOs. I keep an open mind and uh, find it a, a great subject and uh, I'm lucky to be on this amazing Facebook group, The Other Dimension, where we can openly discuss um, the subject and uh, share articles um, relating to it. The sighting that I had uh, took place on the 1st of January last year at 12 minutes past midnight um, in Cape Town and um, I was actually house-sitting for a friend. They had, uh, they had a couple of dogs, and they were just a bit worried that when they went out to the uh, New Year celebrations that the dogs might uh, be disturbed by the fireworks going off. So I agreed to sort of um, babysit or house-sit the dogs for them. And um, I was uh, the house is up on the hill on the slopes of Table Mountain. I just finished watching the fireworks display, which had just died down over Cape Town Harbour. I glanced up and I noticed um, a circular shape. It was um, sort of a wireframe circular shape, um, sort of a two-dimensional shape. And the color, the wireframe sort of color of it was a uh, pinkish-orange color. And uh, it was moving fairly quickly from southwest uh, to northeast, a kind of rough direction. It was kind of over a saddle um, between Table Mountain and uh, Lion's Head two points of interest in Cape Town. Immediately following the circular shape was a triangle, also a pinky uh, pinky orange in color, also a, a sort of um, wireframe shape, but a perfect triangle. And right behind that was a long oblong shape, the same colors. All of the shapes were rotating slowly or they, they were wobbling slightly on a common axis. And they all appeared to be hollow, no solid uh, form to them at all, just outlines. They appeared to be all in a straight line, and they were undulating or, or wobbling slightly from side to side, but all of them moving along this this common axis in in a in a in a line astern, one behind the other. The last sight that I had was um, was of the long oblong object disappearing um, from my view behind some trees. <clears throat> the the long oblong shape, the last one that passed overhead, uh, was sort of moving on a flat plane, uh, but moving very much like those um, ships' radars. The military ships have these long, oblong-shaped radar devices which uh, slowly move around. And the movement of, of the shape that I saw was similar to that. Although, as I say, it wasn't a solid object. It was a sort of wireframe shape to it. I, I guess the altitude, they were probably between 700 uh, to 1,000 foot above where I was sitting, um, difficult really to to judge exactly how high they were and, and what size, but I suppose if they were, uh, I, I, I guess the size is probably about uh, 25 foot across. Each object was probably about that size um, if they were a thousand foot above. There was absolutely no noise from any of the objects at all, and uh, I've I've never seen anything like this before. And I, I did look in the in the newspapers and online the next day to see if anything had been reported, anything similar. I didn't see anything, so I don't know what they were, but I'm quite familiar with aircraft. I have a fascination in flying, and I have done for years, so I'm, I'm pretty sure there weren't helicopters, there weren't drones, there was no sound from them. And it would be odd to have drones over that area, three of them, one behind the other, in, in those shapes as well. I could imagine drones over the harbour while the fireworks were going off at midnight, but um, this was 12 minutes after midnight. Um, I still don't think there were drones. I, I've, I've never seen anything that's, uh, that's proven either way that these were or were not uh, man-made objects. 
I don't know whether they were from another dimension, another planet, or whether they were um, something man-made that, that I just don't know about. When I uh, wrote up a report to the South African UFO website the next day, I did notice that there was a sighting also, funnily enough, at 12 minutes past midnight. The sighting, the other sighting was in Johannesburg, but it wasn't, the description wasn't the same as mine. I'm not sure what objects they saw in Johannesburg, but it was nothing like what I'd seen. Just uh, oddly enough, it was at, uh, at the same time. But I suppose being New Year's Eve, uh, there'd be a lot of lights in the sky. And uh, I suppose if, if uh, any alien entity wanted to sort of disguise their actions, then the New Year would be a good time to bring out uh, brightly lit craft. Anyway, I have a keen fascination. Um, it's, it's, it's made me even more interested in the subject, and uh, I am wary about um, the reports that I read. I, I do quite a bit of research on it before I make a decision for myself as to what it is. But I, I, I found that um, my ongoing interest uh, is, is just uh, intensified now, and uh, I was just very lucky to have that sighting. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but uh, I've never seen anything like it uh, since then. Never seen anything like it before then. Anyway, um, that was my sighting. Uh, that's what I wanted to report. And thank you, Ryan, for the opportunity to speak. Um, that's all from me, Simon Tat, here in Cape Town, South Africa. Well, in 1968, uh, I was a much younger man at that time. And I was in my automobile and I uh, had taken a ride to a local park called Seaside Park which has a large beach area. And uh, at the time, I was supposed to meet a friend of mine who was uh, a fisherman, and the striped bass uh, had been biting at that time. And when I had arrived at the park, no one was there at that particular time, because usually the fishermen showed up at a later point in the morning, and I, I arrived very early. And uh, if I remember correctly, the time was... Uh, probably like around that, uh, uh, just be, just around daybreak, uh, even if I wanted to say 6 o'clock in the morning, 6.30 in the morning. And I was in my car, and I stepped out of the vehicle, and I looked at the water, and because Long Island Sound is directly across from Seaside Park, Port Jefferson, uh, New York, is, long, uh, is what I am talking about. And I, I looked at the water, and uh, I saw this, uh, it looked like a large uh, sphere, like a ball, cylinder-type, uh, whatever it was, <laughs> if I wanted to say vehicle or whatever, some type of an air, airship or whatever it was, but it was a large ball shape, and it was actually resting on the water, approximately maybe... Uh, 400 yards offshore and uh, I was kind of amazed because I had never seen anything like that. I, I thought possibly at the time maybe the I know Sikorsky Aircraft is in Bridgeport, Connecticut where they make helicopters and I thought possibly maybe the U.S. Navy was uh, doing some test work on some vehicle or whatnot and I continued to look and uh, I did have a pair of binoculars in the car I say, hey, let me get my binoculars. I ran to get my binoculars, and I, and I uh, focused in. I had a, a 10 by 50 binocular set, and I focused in on the, on the object, and it appeared like figures uh, that I could not describe. They were in some kind of a, 
some type of a uniform or or some type of a camouflage uniform and uh, almost like a deep sea diver uniform and uh, they had some type of a hose in the water it appeared to be like a hose it looked like they were taking something out of the water or whatever they were doing and all that all of a sudden this thing just started to ascend and lo and behold I continued to look and in a matter of a second or two it was out of sight it appeared like a little little tiny circle in the sky and I lost sight of it I, I, I immediately you know I I didn't know what the heck I had seen at the time you know you hear so much about UFOs you know so-called unidentified flying objects I uh, at that time of course we had no cell phones like today today of course you have cell phones you're able to communicate and at that time we had no cell phone and what I did was I I drove home because my friend hadn't showed up and uh, I was so excited about it I drove home and I, I really didn't want to tell anybody you know especially local police authorities because I I thought they'd think I was crazy at the time. So I went home and I told my wife about it. And she told me that I should report it. So I immediately, uh, you know, at that time called 911. And they put me in touch with the local Bridgeport Police Department. And, you know, it's been so many years now that I I really don't remember who I had spoken to. But the officer that uh, I did talk to at the time, he kind of laughed and you know, facetiously, and was making a, sort of a, a joke about it. And I says, officer, I says, listen, I says, I'm not crazy. I really saw this this so-called cylinder object, you know, in the water. It looked like it had been taking something out of the water, and then it ascended until I couldn't see it anymore. I was looking at it with a pair of binoculars, and it looked like uh, the people or whatever they, they appeared to be, they looked like people. They were dressed in some type of, it looked like deep sea outfits, and and they were on board that craft. It just took off immediately, and in, in a blink of an eye, it was gone. And uh, the officer said, well, you're not the first one to report seeing something. Somebody else called, too, and said they had seen it. So I guess you're right. But he was he was making it more like a joke. He, he really wasn't acting serious. So nothing was really done about it. And I looked in the local newspapers the next day, and uh, there was a small article about uh, some sightings in Bridgeport, but but that was about it. Nothing ever became of it. But I experienced this, and and hey, I'm 73 years old, and I know what I saw. And until this day, I, I swear that that is what I saw. And this object moved so fast, it was faster than any jet, faster than anything that I have ever seen in my lifetime. And believe me, selling a little. Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey guys, Ryan here. The Somewhere in the Skies podcast is a labor of love every week. And with that comes many different costs to keep the show running. That's where our Patreon campaign comes in. You give what you think the show is worth. There's different rewards available all the time, including shoutouts on the show, early editions of main episodes, bonus episodes and content, and very soon, monthly patron hangouts, where we sit back and chat all things UFOs. So I hope you'll consider becoming a Patreon subscriber today. To learn more and to join, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support and keep looking up. Driving home from Wells, coming up to Loggies, I, I was driving. My husband was in the passenger seat. Travis was in the back seat. Um, we were kind of, as I'm driving, I'm also glancing at my husband because we're talking, having a conversation. And just out of the corner of this eye, I saw a bright light. And I thought, oh, cool, shooting star was my original thought right away. And then I looked and it was just, it was too big. And it wasn't falling or moving sideways like shooting stars do. I've seen a lot of shooting stars in my life. And um, kept driving a few seconds later, and it showed up again. And he says, okay, this, this is too weird. I'm pulling over. He says, no, go up to the junction. You know, get out of traffic. I pulled over anyway, started to get out. He said, go up to the junction, get out of traffic. I real quick pulled into the junction. By the time I got out of the truck, it had disappeared standing there looking around and it showed up in the original spot again right in front of us and I hollered at Sean I says my cameras are in my purse grab them and I'll see if we can get it on video so he's grabbing my cameras and while he's doing that um, little black car pulls up next to us guy jumps out and he said are you guys seeing this I says, yeah, are you seeing the same thing? He says, yeah. He says, look at all the people back there on the road. And there's probably, I'm guessing, four or five cars pulled off the side of the highway, you know, within probably a five-mile radius because it's a real flat, long stretch of road right there. And you could see them all pulling off and stopping. And he says, have you ever seen anything like this before? 
we all said, no. You know, he says, well, this is the second time I've, I've seen it. And he says, I'm from Arizona. He says, and I saw him down there two or three years ago. And he says, so this is really neat. And then right in the middle of our conversation, all of a sudden appear, appeared off to the left again. And there were two of them. And I got that one. I got my camera up in time that I caught, barely caught them. After that, they, they blinked off. And then way, way, way far out in the distance. I mean, just, I mean, it looked like it was probably 50 miles away. It showed up again, but it was real, real dim because it was so far away. It kind of looked like the end of a lit cigarette. And Travis is the one that spotted that one. I, none of us saw it at first until he pointed it out and said, it's way, way out there. We stood there for a few minutes looking around, didn't see anything. So we were going to get back in the truck and head, head home. And all of a sudden, in the original spot where we first saw him, there were three of them. From what it looked like to me, it had quite a bit of space in between them. So it didn't look to me like it was one solid thing. It looked like three different things. And then, since I'd already put my camera away, I didn't catch that one. But I jumped back out of the truck, and we stood there for another few minutes... And then they came back on again, two of them. After they blinked off, that time we didn't see them again. We stood there for probably another, I'm guessing maybe 10 minutes or so. The gentleman, he left. He was on his way back to Arizona. He left, so we stood there and watched, didn't see anything for a while. So we decided to go, because Sean had to work. As we're getting in the truck is when Travis pointed out to me that he started seeing jets and stuff and of course I don't know what's what up there you know with planes wise I know they're planes because you can see them moving you can see the flashing lights and you can see what looked like almost like a little tail coming off of them kind of like a comet really far away and he told me that's what afterburners do so I'm taking his word for that I did see quite a few of them I'm guessing five or six at least really really fast I've never seen things move quite that fast before. They seem to be coming from just about all different directions and all headed toward the same spot, which is basically, as I was looking, probably just to the right of Wendover, which I don't know if the base there is still active or not. I don't think it is. I don't think it's been active in a while. But it seemed like they were all coming from different directions headed towards Wendover. I mean, I've seen some weird things but they're all explainable you know i've seen shooting stars that are really big and different colors you know blue ones and purple ones and you know but you always know what they are because you can tell you can see the stuff coming off the end of them and you can tell they're shooting stars and planes of course even hot air balloons gliders and this was well they they were such an odd orange it's like we keep saying there we kind of liken them to a street light but they were even a deeper orange than that but really really bright and I just I can't look at a street light the same now because every time I look at a street light I'm almost thinking is that one of them it's, it's like being maybe a block away from a street light and looking at that street light that's about the size and if it was just a little bit deeper color that would be it you know, round orange bright that's the best thing that I can relate it to because they were that big. It was like originally what I thought size-wise was on a full moon. If you take the full moon 
and you cut it in quarters, you know, four quarters, it was about the size of a quarter of the moon. It was, it was big. I could hear the peacocks clucking across the street. You know, other than that, I mean, there was not, there wasn't even any wind that night. Not a cloud in the sky, no wind, no nothing. It was just perfectly still. I want to know what it is. Because at times I feel like I'm crazy. I just, I really want to know what it is. It's got me really interested. Hello, my name is Larry Gessner, and I am in McCluskey, North Dakota, and the event that I'm going to talk about happened to me and my wife at the time back on 7-10-03. I had just gotten home uh, from a drive someplace. I can't remember exactly where it was that I came from. And I had sat down in the living room to watch, I think the Tonight Show had just started. And uh, my wife decided she wanted to go outside on the back deck and have a cigarette. And so she went out to have a cigarette and I was watching TV. And all of a sudden, she started screaming. Now, I, at the time, I was sheriff of Sheridan County, where we lived, and we still live, and uh, the scream that she let out kind of shook me up because I figured somebody was trying to kill her, uh, and so I raced out the back door to find her on the deck, pointing up in the sky, and she said, that, 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 that star, that star just shot out of the sky, it stopped, and, and red lights came on. And there it is. And I looked, and I, you know, at first I thought, okay, it's probably maybe a meteor or something, but then I'm looking, and the red lights are above the, you know, above the horizon, or just at the horizon, and it it looks like they're off in the distance, but not too far. And all of a sudden I'm thinking to myself, it almost looks like that thing is headed towards us. And then as it started to get closer... I thought maybe it's an aircraft or something that, you know, we just didn't understand what it was. But as the objects started to get closer, I noticed that the the red lights, and now we were seeing green lights as well, and it was in a vertical formation, not horizontal. And I, this really puzzled me because I, you know, I've been in ground aircraft my whole life. I spent 14 years in the Air Force around flight lines, around all kinds of aircraft. And I knew the light configuration of aircraft, and I looked at this and I said, this is not right, something's not right. And as it got closer, we could tell it was farther up in the sky, and I guess we, we estimated maybe it was around 800 feet in the sky, but as it got closer, now... Uh, uh, the thing I forgot to tell you is the time period, you know, somewhere between, I'm going to say, 20 minutes to 11 our time to, you know, 10 minutes to 11 our time uh, at night, the sky had just turned dark. In other words, it was light enough that you could still tell it was sky, but it was dark enough to where uh, you would have trouble making things out, I, you know. So as this, as this object is getting closer, we're trying to look at it, and I, I'm, I see this vertical formation of lights. And I'm thinking, this is, this is just not right. What could this be? 
And as it got closer, we realized it was probably around, oh, I would guess maybe 800 feet in the air. And it was big. The best I can I can describe is probably, just to give you a rough estimation, it's probably the size of a football field, you know, 100 yards by 50 yards or 20, you know, 25 yards. I don't even, I think it's 50 yards across. But anyway, as this thing is starting to come closer, we're making out a, a, a strange shape on it and can't quite put together what it is. But we can tell as it gets closer that one of the white lights that we're seeing is up in the upper part of this shape on our side. And as it starts to get closer, we start to hear what I automatically assumed was thrust, the sound of a th you know, thrust from an aircraft. But the object was traveling slow probably around 35, 30, 30 miles an hour, something like that. And it was moving slow. And as it got closer and closer, we were looking at it, and all of a sudden I realized that this side light is a window. And it's backlit from the inside of what appears to be some sort of a craft. And the craft is starting to take on what I would assume or uh, estimate as a diamond shape. Uh, it's got angles, a right angle to it. Uh, a slope in the front, slope on the side. Uh, as, as it's getting closer, we're looking up at it. I hear this thrust sound, but the thrust sound does not equate to what I knew thrust to be from jet engines on aircraft. There wasn't enough of the sound of thrust to keep this thing of this size up in the air. And so I, I'm just totally bewildered. I just, I'm, I'm in awe. I can't, you know, figure out what the heck I'm looking at. I can't, you know, it's not like anything I, I'm used to, no aircraft that I've ever seen before. So as it's getting closer and closer, it finally gets to just about over our heads and I'm freaking out. My wife is freaking out. We're looking at this thing, and I'm looking and trying to see. I focused on the window at this point. There was two sets or two rows of windows, and I was focused probably on the upper set. And I could see inside the window, and I'm thinking to myself, am I going to see an alien? Am I going to see an alien in, a, in an alien craft? And what I did see was some sort of a structural wall now, in aircraft design, uh, they drill out holes in support structures to lessen the weight. Uh, this is an engineering thing that they do, and I worked on B-52s, and I've seen this before in the structural integrity of the B-52s. So, I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking to myself, my God, this thing is, is, is it man-made? It, you know, I'm looking at the, the, the holes in the, in the wall and saying to myself, this looks just like a structural element off a of B-52. And it almost had that lime green color to it that you would see on the inside of an aircraft, like up in the wheel well or something. So, you know, at, at this point, my wife and I were just, were just dumbfounded. I mean, you, you become paralyzed because your brain is trying to make sense of something that isn't making any sense to you. 
This is something that, you know, it defies the laws of physics. It, it can't be anything that you know. And we're watching it. And all of a sudden I'm saying, my God, this is a UFO. I can't believe this. And so all of a sudden I sort of snapped too and I said, oh my God, this is headed, it had started in the southeast and was headed over basically just behind my house, headed in a northeast direction. And as it started to go overhead, I sort of snapped too and said, oh my God, it's headed right for Pickardville, which is where one of my deputies lived. And so I ran inside, my wife ran out to the, the west side of the house, we were on the east side in the back deck, and she ran out to the front door on the west side and stood there and watched it as it went over the house and, and kept going. And I tried to call my deputy. Now my deputy answers the phone and I tell him, you've got to get outside, you've got to get outside right now, there's a UFO headed right over your house headed right for you. It's got to be pretty close by now. So he's laughing at me and you know I said I'm dead serious get outside and so he finally gets outside and about that time I ran out the front door to see where it was and my wife goes I was listening to you she goes you're not going to believe this she goes as soon as you said the word UFO that craft stopped dead stop. A white light came on on the back end of it and it shot straight up in the air at unbelievable speed and it was gone. And so I'm talking to my deputy and he goes, I don't see anything. And I go, yeah, I guess you don't. It's gone. <laughs> it's already gone. At that point, we knew we had seen something incredible. Something that either we have the capability to have ships like that or we are being visited by a intelligent race and the the craft is of an unbelievable size. I mean, I don't know what this craft would have been used for. And the thing that I'm still trying to wrap my head around is when they travel at those unbelievable speeds and stop, how is it that they can do that? I mean, if you're driving in a car and you slam on the brakes, you lunge forward. And so that's at a, a, you know, a, a normal speed or a little bit faster. But when you're traveling in excess of a thousand miles an hour, uh, I, can't, I just can't, I can't imagine how anybody could survive something like that without breaking the laws of physics. So there must be something else going on here that we can't explain when it comes to that. My name is Sean Kevin Jason, and I'm a computer analyst from Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, Ryan had graciously asked me to tell you about my story, which is included in this book, Somewhere in the Skies. So I'm going to give you a brief overview of what happened. If you would like the full details, uh, please go out and purchase the book and help support Ryan's work. It was about a quarter after nine o'clock, and I was still at work at the time. It was at that moment when I was struck with a strong sensation in my gut that is like a cross between butterflies in your stomach and that queasy feeling you get when you drop in a roller coaster really fast. Um, at the same time I would get that sensation, I would hear a voice in my head. Uh, now this had happened several times in my teenage years. 
but on this particular occasion, it was basically telling me to go to Area 51. This was the first time it was happening with regards to a potential UFO encounter. Um, there was only one reason I ever went out to Area 51 was in hopes of seeing a UFO. On my previous trips out there, nothing happened. Uh, didn't see anything noteworthy or eventful. So when this happened, I knew right away what it meant. Uh, at least what I believed it meant was that I was going to have a UFO encounter that evening. Um, oddly enough, within minutes after this event, the manager had asked if I would like to leave early. Business was slow that night. She was looking to cut staff and uh, asked me first if I wanted to go home, of course, which I said yes right away. So I gathered my stuff, got out of there, um, hit up my mom's house, which was just down the street where my brother was staying. He had a uh, Pentex film camera, which I wanted to borrow for the trip. So I swung by there to grab the camera, but both he and the camera were gone. Um, so I left from there and went home. So after stopping at home and changing, um, I hit the road and started heading out towards Area 51. There's a bend in Highway 93, uh, your first turn as you start turning from a north direction more to of a northeast direction. And as soon as I start coming around the bend off in the distance, I can see some lights. And my first thought was, it's just another car on the road. Uh, first car I'm going to pass of the night. Uh, so I continue driving. And as I do so, I begin to realize that that light off in the distance isn't getting any closer to me, but I'm getting closer to it. So I suspected maybe a car was pulled off to the side of the road. Uh, possibly they had broken down. And this caused me some concern because uh, I was debating as to whether or not I was going to stop and help them or keep driving. And since this was the middle of nowhere, um, I was somewhat concerned about stopping to help. So I was debating this in my head when it dawned on me or when I realized that the lights were not actually on the road but hovering over the road. I was getting close enough now that I can see that. And my first reaction was to slam on the brakes because I was speeding. I was in a hurry to try to get to Area 51. I was still on the first leg of a two-hour drive. So I thought running behind and speeding, I'm thinking these lights must be a, a metro helicopter, you know, out there looking for speeders. And that thought maybe lasted for two seconds because it was absurd to think there would be a police helicopter hovering maybe 10, 20 feet right over the highway looking for speeders. And <laughs> so when I ruled that out, uh, it then dawned on me that maybe these lights were the very reason I was coming out there. So I decided to grab my binoculars to see if I couldn't get a look at the object before I arrived at the site, just in case it should leave before I get there. Uh, so I picked them up and I'm looking at the object and I can definitely see there is something hovering over the road and its lights are shining down on it. And if you've ever tried to drive while 
looking through binoculars at the same time is pretty much impossible and at one point I nearly lost control so I threw them in the back seat because uh, it simply wasn't working but it was enough to at least establish there was indeed something there hovering over the road so I stepped on the gas in a desperate attempt to hurry up and get there before it left. It sat there and waited for me until I pulled up underneath the triangle UFO and parked my car, um, which was hovering about 20 feet over the road. And I had parked my car just under the very first light or, or tip of this triangle. Uh, on the underside of it, there were nine uh, what seemed like standard aircraft floodlights. The craft was a perfect triangle, uh, pitch black so I couldn't make out any detail on the skin of the craft. The only thing that really offered any detail were the lights on it. Um, so for the remainder of the sighting, I sat there and studied the lights and tried remembering as much detail as I could of these lights. I decided I was going to use my binoculars to get an even better look at the light. I figured if there was maybe some logo or identifying marks at the center of the bulb like we traditionally use, um, I might be able to identify the lights. So I reached behind me to grab for them without taking my eyes off the uh, craft, but apparently when I threw them in the back seat on the way there, they had got stuck behind one of the seats. So I had to take my eyes off the craft to reach behind me and grab them. And, uh, and so doing that very second, the craft decided to take off. So I had to scan the horizon and eventually caught sight of it again to my seven o'clock position, uh, now probably a football field away from me. And it was hovering over the ground, much like a, a speed racer in a Star Wars movie. Um, it just always stayed 20 feet from the ground and followed the terrain um, as it moved westward from my spot. Eventually, it made a right turn and headed north, going over the mountain range that's just uh, north of that road. And it kind of just climbed over the mountain. Rather than flying over it, it, it stayed close to the ground and basically inched its way up the side of the mountain before disappearing over the top and dropping down the other side. After that, I figured, well, this was just the introduction. Um, whatever that message was calling me to um, still was waiting for me at Area 51 so I continued on after that and uh, thinking you know there's still more to come but when I got out there eventually nothing else happened I didn't see anything else and after a short while I decided to turn around and head back home and the drive home was uneventful as well so what do I believe happened Basically, we are dealing with a control system that is responsible for preventing paradoxes by ensuring that space-time is self-consistent. And it does this by programming the observer using psychic phenomenon such as precognition, your gut instinct, or intuition to ensure that a future event happens as has been programmed by the system. The message or voice is being used to elicit a very specific chain of events. These chain of events must lead up to the future event that's being predicted. And in this way, space-time is self-consistent and preventing a paradox. 
if you're familiar at all with the work of Jacques Vallée and uh, his theory or hypothesis on the control system, essentially this case is a textbook example of that control system. Um, I had reached the same conclusions as Vallée has um, independently of his work. And as for the black triangle I saw that night, based on the terrestrial technology I identified on the craft, um, I believe it was built here on Earth by humans and is not of extraterrestrial origin. Greetings, citizens, and welcome to this Somewhere in the Skies Unknown crossover episode. I'm Jason McClellan, and Ryan and I are excited to be recording this episode live from AlienCon Baltimore. And we have the privilege of being joined today by this awesome audience at AlienCon. How are you guys today? Are you having fun at AlienCon yet? We were so worried about that being so early in the morning, so thank you. This is one of the first sessions at AlienCon, so yeah, we know it's it's great for you to be here, great uh, that you have some energy to join us. <laughs> well, what about you, Ryan? Are you having fun at AlienCon? This isn't your first oh, yeah. AlienCon. No, I did the last event in Pasadena this past summer, which was amazing. I had no idea what to expect uh, as a UFO researcher. You know, I, I watch Ancient Aliens, I, I'm, I'm up with the times with all that, but I had no idea what to expect, and when I got there, I was blown away and that's kind of how I feel today here on the east coast where I'm originally from so it's it's good to be home it's good to see a lot of familiar faces new faces and I'm pumped man yeah I love events like this this is my first alien con but uh, we do a lot of UFO uh, specific events and a lot of the UFO conferences are largely academic you know where they're they're focused on the large uh, speaker component with lectures and, and talks about various topics related to UFOs. And what I think AlienCon has done really well with is blend the two types of conferences that I go to a lot, because I, I do a lot of uh, Comic-Cons and things like that too, and taking the two, kind of blending the best of both worlds in a topic, uh, centered around a topic that we love. Yeah. Absolutely. And bringing a lot of people together that might normally not. We all have this one sort of interest and passion in common, and that's, you know, the question of aliens. Right, right. And, you know, we're going to be talking a lot more about UFOs today. Absolutely. How they're connected, how they may not be connected, stuff like that. Yeah, so let's get into it. So the focus of our episode today is going to be specifically on UFO sightings, on UFO experiences, extraterrestrial experiences, and we're going to hear some of our experiences and also some uh, of the experiences of our attendees here today. So I'm excited for that. But let's get started with ours, Ryan. Why don't you share whatever you would like to share? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I feel like a lot of UFO researchers have that origin story of how they got involved, why they do this with every free moment they have, which is what we do. You know, we research, study, investigate UFOs every waking moment when we're not, you know, paying the bills and everything. So for me, uh, I had a UFO event when I was 12 years old. Uh, This happened in 1995, uh, and it was off the St. Lawrence River, uh, if anyone's familiar. This was the border between upstate New York and Canada, and the, uh, the river literally connected the two. And I was on a weekend getaway with my parents uh, to go fishing. And we were staying at a motel right on, right on the water. And it was late at night. And I was listening to Green Day on my Discman. That brings you back to the 90s. And 
I was just, you know, casting my reel out, bringing it in, casting it out, bringing it in, listening to music. And I noticed uh, three lights in the water. And I thought there was something under the water. So I start, like, peering over the edge. And uh, I noticed that it was not in the water. It was a reflection. So naturally, I look up. And above me, I couldn't tell you how high up, how close it was. But it was three white lights and a like a reddish orange basketball shaped thing in the middle. Um, it was in a triangular formation. I did not see a structure to this thing. I didn't see metal. I didn't see anything connecting it, but the lights were stationary. They were floating above me and I could not see the stars or anything behind it. So I am guessing this was a solid object, but I can't say for sure. And it was silent. I didn't hear a thing. All I could hear was the water hitting the dock where I was fishing. Uh, I, Flung my headphones off, waiting to hear for some sort of uh, propulsion, nothing. I was really scared. This thing was floating silently above me. So I tried to yell for my father, who was inside our motel watching a Yankees game. So I couldn't get him away from that. Um, But I was frozen. I could feel like a vibration from the back of my neck going down into my chest during all this. Um, I don't know what that was. Maybe I was just scared. Maybe whatever this was was doing something. I don't know. But I was frozen. I couldn't talk. Nothing. I finally was able to get a little squeal out and my dad runs out. And as he's coming out, the thing starts going over the water towards Canada and disappears out of sight. I don't know if it just went over the horizon or if it actually went into the water I couldn't tell you but my father did see the tail end of this thing so uh, I knew I wasn't just seeing things he told me it was a plane just a plane you know doing his fatherly job Um, but I knew different I saw it right above me silent massive and the next morning we went to the motel person and said did anyone report anything weird he said no but we get stuff like that all the time so that scared me even more uh this was not the first time a ufo had been seen in this area again i was 12 years old i it was fear it was just fear i didn't know what it was and that kind of led to an obsession i started taking out books at the library on ufos and cryptids and all that good stuff and uh i would have nightmares about what i saw and it just really stuck with me. But I wanted to educate myself, and I started getting all the books, and that's kind of my origin story, as it were, and that's how I became a UFO researcher. We'll see, and that's that's a cool thing about your origin story is that it actually is tied to a sighting. Yeah. So you get to tell both of yours in the same time, which is <laughs> always fun. Um, so I think I'm going to start... Just briefly by mentioning my sighting of the Phoenix Lights. You're probably familiar with the Phoenix Lights. It's a large mass UFO sighting in Arizona, and it was in March of 1997. I was a 17-year-old boy back then, and I grew up in the remote desert uh, on the outskirts of Phoenix. And on that night, I was out... um, forget our our property had like uh, I think our house was on like an acre or something of nothing but desert and we had very few neighbors it was very very remote very very lonely uh, but that night walking walking around the property um, the lights were very hard to miss we saw a lot of weird things in the sky all the time and 
just for fun sometimes we would go out and watch the military dropping flares because from where our house was we had a clear line of sight to the Barry Goldwater range where the A-10s frequently dropped the test flares that were later attributed to the Phoenix lights but I knew right from the moment I saw those lights that they were not military flares. I knew that this was something out of the ordinary, something that I had never seen before and something that I should probably pay attention to. So I stared at these lights that were seemingly directly over my head, uh, a series of seven lights, and they were completely motionless, completely silent, and did not change in their formation or their appearance at all. They didn't flicker or change color. They were just a constant, steady series of lights hovering in the sky. Now, this frustrates me to no end uh, because of my career now, but uh, as a 17-year-old kid, my attention span was very limited. And after 15 minutes or so, I kind of lost interest and went back inside, did something else. But I came back later, probably 10 minutes later. The lights were still there. And it gets worse. I grabbed our camcorder, and I recorded these lights for probably 10 minutes. I'm pretty sure that video was recorded over by one of my brother's soccer games. <laughs> so that, that's haunted me for a while. Um, but the Phoenix Lights was, was an incredible thing, and I will say that those lights remained out there, and I, I didn't see them disappear. I don't know how they left, but I was aware that they were there for probably a span of 45 minutes. And I will say, recounting any of my UFO sighting experiences, I've learned over the years and having dealt with so many experiences um, from witnesses and knowing what I know about witness testimony, I think witness testimony is incredibly valuable. I value that probably over much evidence that there is with UFO sightings. However, I do know the problems with eyewitness testimony, especially with my own. I have a terrible brain, and I know thinking back to something that happened so long ago, I would like to firmly say that, oh, I remember there were clearly seven lights, and they clearly did this, and I looked at my watch, and it was this time to the second. I have no clue. I don't remember what I had for dinner last week, let alone you know what happened to the second on a night so long ago. So... I do try to preface my, my stories with that, saying this is what I seem to recall, this is what I think happened to the best of my recollection, but not 100% certain. So I, I try to avoid very firm details with these stories. Phoenix Lights, however, as incredible as it was, and, and it became such a monumental case, you know, the largest mass sighting in, in modern history, wasn't the one that had the most effect on me. And I hate saying this because it makes me sound like a jerk, but to this point, I mean, I... I've lost count of how many UFO sightings I've had. And when I say UFO sightings, again, this is coming from the perspective of somebody who is a UFO researcher and journalist, somebody who's done this professionally. I was paid a salary full-time, 50 hours a week, for a period of seven years to do nothing but UFO research. So I have reviewed and analyzed literally thousands of UFO photos and videos, and being a responsible journalist and researcher, I got pretty darn good at being able to identify mundane things that that pop up in a lot of UFO photos and videos to weed those out and focus on the more interesting cases. So when 
I talk about my personal UFO sighting. Sure, I've seen plenty of junk in the sky because the sky is littered with with all sorts of things that we that looks weird to us. But the things based on my experience that defy explanation that I haven't been able to put an answer to, it's I've I've lost count, but I, I say typically it's about a dozen to this point. Um, and again, the Phoenix Lights isn't the most exciting one to me, although it's the most well known and became this this giant thing as it should because it's incredibly important and fascinating. I think my first sighting as a researcher happened with the aid of night vision. And if you've ever had the ability to use night vision and go sky watching, it is incredible. You see all sorts of stuff that you have no idea is there. And again, a lot of this stuff is normal stuff that should be there. But then there are the things that make you scratch your head and maybe sometimes pee your pants, but <laughs> mostly scratch your head. Um, Speak for yourself. And, uh, yeah, one of the, one of the first, first times I, I, when I did an outing with, with night vision, I did see the objects that you hear reference so often of things moving through the sky seemingly like satellites with a similar behavior and appearance of a satellite moving through the sky, but then stopping, remaining in that same point, and then shooting off in another direction and disappearing from sight. Those situations just take your breath away. You know, that, that can't happen, but it just did. So those are some of the better ones um, that leave me very excited and have happened multiple times. But there have been a lot of weird sightings, too. I, I mean, they're all weird. But, you know, Ryan mentioned a triangular shape. That's a, probably the most commonly sighted shape today. But they run the gamut. They really do. And I love the names they come up with, especially in the U.K. They have, like, hamburger-shaped UFOs oh, yeah. and things. Those are great. I've never seen a hamburger-shaped UFO, but I have seen a rectangle UFO. And that one was, was hovering above the freeway. I was driving down the freeway and saw this object, and it was it was dark, so you couldn't really see um, or, or make out a shape of an object until I was directly under it, and I could see that this object was motionless over the freeway. And it was probably, again, who am I but to, to make this assessment, but I'm guessing it was about 100 feet off the ground. But looking up at it as we drove under it, I could see edges and it had lights. It had round, big round lights on each edge of it. So it was just a big, big rectangle with two circular lights, gigantic craft just hovering over the freeway. And I've seen those actually a couple of times yeah. now. I, I've, I've spoken to many witnesses who've seen very similar craft as well. Yeah, it really does run the gamut. The days of flying saucers have come and gone. I mean, that was a product of its time. But we know now, like, people are seeing the weirdest things you can possibly think of. Some even seem organic. I've come across cases where people see things, like, almost breathing or thriving in the sky, like some sort of biological entity almost. It's very interesting just, you know, trying to... we, we, We spend so much time trying to put things in a box, but we can't. We, we can't. I don't think anyone really can uh, when it comes to having a UFO sighting because it is something you've sort of, you've never experienced before. You, you, there's no box to put it in. And again, I always try to keep an open mind. Um, even if I think I 
know an explanation, uh, the, the most likely explanation for something that I've seen, I know that that's just one explanation. There could be other possibilities. And one of those, you know, speaking about the biologic UFO, that's another example of, of one of the weird ones that I've seen with a super crazy high-powered lens um, in Mexico City. Um, I watched this object seemingly swim through the sky. And looking back at it now, you know, I was fully convinced this wasn't the case then. Now I, I as time passes, I consider the possibility more and more that, yeah, it was most likely uh, a, a research balloon, a weather balloon, because they do have this appearance. It had a long tail where the payload, uh, you know, is typically suspended from. But when I was there, when I was watching this thing move on the camera's LCD, I could see these motions. I could see what seemed to be um, intelligent color shifting. Um, it was wild. And so, I, although I do think it probably was was a weather balloon and just a, a result of seeing with it being so high in the altitude or had high altitude and the sun was reflecting off it quite a bit causing these seeming color changes i still come back to that possibility based on based on what i saw yeah. i'm i'm open to the possibility of the biologic ufo yeah, yeah. well roswell was a weather balloon too jason so. yeah right <laughs> Well, I think we should probably open it up to hear some of our audience's stories here. So if you would like to share uh, uh, a sighting or an encounter that you may have had, please come up to the microphone. And uh, again, we'll try to keep these as brief as possible so we can allow as many people as possible to share stories. And again, you don't have to share stories. Um, You don't have to use your name. You don't have to use your name. Again, it's not video, it's audio. And certainly we'll be around all weekend. So if you'd like to share your stories with us and not be recorded that's also a possibility for you later so we'll keep talking feel free to come up to the mic and and we'll jump to you um as it seems appropriate um i want to point out i'll bring up another sighting i had in san diego actually i was on my way to san diego and um this is how I, I get so frustrated at myself with how lazy and complacent I've become with, with UFO sightings because <laughs> I just, I don't know. They don't affect me like they used to. And when I, I, I've had a couple of these sightings where I'm driving and I see something remarkable. And I should pull over and look at this thing. And I even sometimes have camera equipment in my car and I don't, you know, take photos or video. I just keep driving. I'm all, oh, that's cool. Well, that's but, th- the biggest issue we run into with skeptics is why didn't you record it? Why, why don't these people pull out their cell phone? We have the technology now. It's in our pocket every second. Why aren't we taking photos and videos of these things? At least from personal experience, I, the last thing on my mind was taking a photo of what I was seeing. I, uh, it's a very personal, powerful yeah. moment. Even if it's a prosaic thing you're looking at that you later discover was you know, something you misidentified, that moment of seeing something you've never seen before, your total, your reality, your perception being askewed, last thing you're thinking of is, oh, I want to sh- post this on YouTube or Instagram. It's, it's just, I don't think that's really, yeah. that's, you're in that immediate moment, like, enjoy it for what it's worth. That's, that's what I say. Does it suck because we don't have photographic evidence of what you saw? Yeah, it does. But I think UFO sightings are deeply personal. And uh, they impact you in your own ways. However your beliefs were before that might be shifted. 
They might not. Who knows? But I know so many people who are like, oh, that was interesting. And they went on with their day yeah. as well. Some people, it changed their entire lives. Yeah. So the, the last one in San Diego that I should have pulled over for, I was actually going out to, to San Diego to, to see Tom DeLonge at To The Stars. And I was driving. It was it was very early in the morning. I mean, very, like, probably an hour or two before the sun came up. So it was still dark, driving on the road, only vehicle on the road. And I saw this light ahead that was in the sky, but I couldn't tell how far off the road it was. I assumed that it was an airplane, but as I kept driving, it seemed to just stay in the same place, and it was there for quite a while, and I had a clear view for a very long stretch of nothingness road, and so I just assumed, well, this must be a planet then, because clearly at my the angle I'm at, I can't tell perspective, but it, it's a planet. It hasn't moved, it hasn't changed in appearance, and it's, it's pretty prominent, so I think it's a planet. As I kept approaching, it was still there. I thought, but that can't be a planet. It's too low in the sky. I kept getting closer and closer, and it stayed in that same spot. I was like, wait a second. I need to start paying attention to this. So as I got closer and closer, I could tell I was going to pass directly under it. And as I did, I looked up, and there was just a solid light there in the sky. Pretty far up, but still quite seemingly large and bright. As I passed it, I saw a sign for a rest area. So I took the exit, got off at the rest area, got out of my car, turned around. Light was gone. gone. There was nothing there. Yep. Welcome to our lives. Yeah, it's got to pull over faster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hi. Hi there. I just want to share my story, Absolutely. although I wish I had a closer experience like you. Um, but my friends and I, this was back in the early 90s, we were um, at the Wachusett Reservoir, and we were watching you know, the Perseid Meteor Showers that night. And we were looking up in the sky, and, you know, far up, everything just looks like a white dot, right? Those are the stars. And all of a sudden, one of those dots from north to south started jumping down in a straight line. So it wasn't blinking. It was, like, jumping. And then it stopped and made a perfect 90-degree change to, um, you know, to the east and did the same thing and then blinked off. And I said to my friends... Did you see that? And they laughed at me. I said, what could that possibly be? But it was so far up. It could be, you know, a star. That's what it looked like. But it it couldn't have been a star because stars don't move like that. So we really couldn't figure out what it was. But it was exciting. That's terrific. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the whole stopping and making a 90-degree turn. Right. To me, I mean, no conventional aircraft with a pilot could survive something like that. And it was so high. Not like, you know, a space station doesn't do that or anything like that. Yeah. So. You do have to wonder, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course, like, you want to jump to, it was aliens, but we don't know. Right. We don't know. Right. But at the same time. You have to wonder. And like, it was fun to see. I can, my father also had an experience that he told me about that was a little closer. He was driving down the street with his wife, and off into the woods, he saw these rotating different colored lights. And they both looked, and they saw that it was some kind of um, typical round craft that was just going through the woods following the road that they were on. And eventually, um, you know, got too forested and you couldn't see it anymore. But I wish I had been there for that one because that was a little bit closer of an encounter and I didn't, you know, but yeah, I find it fascinating. So. Really yeah. fascinating. Yeah. 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 A lot of people uh, always say like, you know, I want to see a UFO. I want right. to see a UFO. I and I understand that impulse for sure. Right. Um, 
I'm happy. I saw what I saw, I guess. It led me on this path I am today right. into this room right now even. But at the same time, it was really scary. Yeah, it probably really scary when you're young like that, too. So. Yeah, at such a young age. Yeah, it really, uh, I, I wouldn't say traumatized me, but it, it definitely changed my perception of the world. But you didn't me. have missing time, correct? That's a tough one. I had what many have coined the Oz factor occur when I had my sighting. This feeling of everything slowing down around you and your senses are just going all over the place. Like I said, I had this weird vibration going through my body um, and just everything seemed to be blurry and going in slow motion. You know, I when I finally did yell for my dad to come out, like it felt like forever. When in reality, it was probably just like that. I don't know. Right. I don't know how long the event lasted. To be completely honest, memory is fallible at times. Um, what I remember most is how I felt, and I think that's the same for a lot of people. Like they they grab onto that one thing they know best, and that's how they feel during something. Uh, not how high up was it, how big was it. Yeah, those things are great, and we would love those as investigators. It, if we can narrow in, we can try to figure out what it was. But at the same time, whatever you saw that night, right. and whatever your father saw, like that's for you. Right, it's for you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I will say that uh, you, you touched on it. A lot of people ask us, how do I, how do I see a UFO? Where do I go, go to see a UFO? It's something that, that a lot of people ask. And, I mean, sadly or, or maybe not so sadly, that there is no magic formula to seeing UFO. But what I always tell people is just look up. If you invest the time, you'll probably see something because there's a lot of stuff up there all the time, day or night. So... Sky watching isn't for everybody. It can be incredibly boring because it's a lot of time where a lot of nothing is happening. But the times I've gone and really spent full nights staring at the sky, you see some of the greatest stuff. Even if it's not alien. The things, the natural things going on in our world are just as exciting that are up there. It's it's astounding. Hi. Hello. Um, This was in the 90s. I was visiting a friend in uh, Pagosa Springs, Colorado, right near Dulce, Mexico. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of activity, I hear, around there. So I was, had been interested in UFOs, and I, I was visiting her. Going, and we, it, I got there a little late. It was dark at that time. And we went out on, on her deck. Had a great view. So I, I, saw, I saw some planes coming in from the left. Very long view. And so I, I said, hi, just joking. Yeah. Wow, two planes turned into about eight. Bing, 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 bing. As if they answered me. Mm. It was like, hi. <laughs> wow. Wow. That That's was interesting. very interesting. Have, yeah. you tried, have you tried that again? <laughs> <laughs> to go back to, well, to go back to, I mean, there must be some familiarity with me, of me, because uh, this wasn't a sighting, but this had to do with uh, totally inexplicable, inexplicable. Yeah. When I was, I'm a twin. They like to study twins, I gather. Um, and I must have been about six five, six years old in Indiana. I used to like to watch, for whatever reason, uh, the, uh, the stars at night uh, and uh, the uh, Venus. Venus. I was just fascinated. I was watching it every night. Well, at, it must have been earlier than that because I was still in diapers, I guess. must have been earlier. But maybe that's why later 
I was watching Venus, having forgotten about this. Very small. Me and my twin brother in Indiana were found outside, all the windows closed, in the morning, wandering around in our diapers. Doors closed, windows closed. That was interesting. Mom told us about it. I don't remember specifically. Um, And then... Uh, Very shortly after that, uh, during the summer, we would have simultaneous bleeding noses. Wow. Duh. (laughs) Something's happening there. We didn't think anything of it. Oh, Glenn has a a bleeding nose. Oh, you do too. We're in separate bedrooms. Uh, So that may have been uh, some early connection, but it wasn't visual, (laughs) other than I was looking at the stars. And... And then in, another interesting thing that when you think about it, I had this big fear of being, and I didn't have the word abducted, did not have that, or kidnapped or anything. But I just knew that I didn't want to be taken away. And uh, I, um, and I would, uh, the, the thing under the, under the, the bad, bad guy under the bed kind of thing, or a closet. Now, I was apparently very, rather courageous because, I got up and looked in that closet <laughs> just to prove my brother wrong. And uh, let me see. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. These things are very rarely chronological. They're messy. They're Again, they're snippets of things that we sometimes try to push down or um, don't want to remember. But, yeah, that's all very interesting. Yes. The whole the missing bloody time. Noses, and bloody uh, nose thing. We come across that a lot in mm-hmm. researching the uh, quote-unquote abduction phenomenon. But Thanks for filling I'm, in. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw a uh, cartoon because I was really worried about being taken away. I don't know why. I saw this cartoon of a, 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 a teddy bear that that was a like, paper cartoon. Teddy bear and the and the teddy bear. Some bad people were going to take these people. The teddy bear became a big bear and protected him. I that was very that was uh, help. I thought I thought of the teddy bear every time that would grow into a grizzly bear. And those children were not being taken away. See, they were kidnappers. I had a word for it then. So I there yeah. you go. That's those are some experiences of mine. Wanda. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you very much. Welcome. Appreciate that. Hey. How you doing? I'll make this quick. I live in New Jersey by Fort Dix, Fort McGuire, Fort uh, Lakehurst Naval Station. They're all together, right? I'm sure you heard about an alien getting killed in Fort Dix way back and stuff. Um, This was back in August this year. This is what led me here. It's my first UFO conference ever. I went outside of my mother's house, right, uh, talking on the phone. There's a little woods, a service road, and then this big garden parking lot. Power lines in front of me. I walk out there talking to my cousin. I'm looking up. I think at 8.10 a movie was coming on, so at 8 o'clock I knew I had like 10 minutes. And I look up and you see a plane flying in the air, and I look over to the left and a lane approaching. And I remember whatever she was saying, I'm like, wow, I said, this thing's like really bright, you know? And she's like, maybe it's a UFO, and we laughed. And when I took a step back, I remember the power lines, the plane moved under it because my head moved. Well, this light, like, almost followed my head. And I'm laughing, I'm joking, and this thing started getting closer and closer. Now, my, my heart started pounding. And I'm saying, this can't be happening. So instead of running like I was, I stopped. I said, let's see if it's really coming after me. And this thing was coming straight over me. So now I ran. When I got to the beginning of the trail, I looked up, and it was gone. I don't know what made me look up, but about 200 feet over my head was a ball of light, 
and you can see something moving in it. I entered a completely different level of fear, and I took off. What you said before, probably after two steps, I felt like somebody poured cement on me, and I could barely get to the garage. I was dragging my feet across the sidewalk as I was trying to, like, run in. And when I got into the garage, about a two or three feet in, I felt like I got everything back. Hmm. Fell on the ground, got up, ran in the house. My mother sees me all in a panic. I don't know what to say to her. <laughs> you know, I'm looking out the windows and everything. And then she's like, uh, I thought you'd be back earlier. I said, what do you mean? Now I hear the phone ringing. It's my phone. I don't have it on me, though. It's in the garage. I go. It's under my mother's truck. I pick it up. And she's like, what's all the commotion out there and everything? There was helicopters flying in the back and everything. And then it dawned on me. It was pitch black out. 50, 47 minutes of my life was gone. Wow. Ran off the clock. The question I have for you is people told me you should go to hip, hypnotherapy or something. And other people tell me not. It's like I don't know whether I want to know what happened because it blows me away that I can remember every second from when I seen it to the garage. But 47 minutes Ran off the clock. Yeah. It's incredible. But wow. if you recommend it, I don't know. I'm still like up in the air if I even want to know what happened. I've never right. seen a UFO before. I don't even know what this thing was. But wow, that's my story. That's incredible. Thank you, Thank you for sharing. Uh, in, I, I will just add in terms of hypnotherapy, um, it's tough. It, it's, I think, again, it's up to the individual. I don't. Uh, promote it. I also don't condemn it by any means. If you wanted, if you, if that's something you want to do to try to get some stuff out, I say go for it. But at the same time, it, it's hard. It's hard because you have to trust the person you're going to. Uh, you have to make sure that there's no sort of contamination or leading questions when it comes to all that. And it also, if you want to remember what happened, is another big one. Um, if you're if you're good with what you remember, I say that's enough for me. That that event clearly had an impact on you, um, and I say run with that. Not to make light of any any situation like that, but you know I, I've certainly been told by many 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 people over the years at UFO conferences that. Uh, they can fill in blanks for me, and they they have they're happy to and and have informed me that I'm a collaborator collaborator with extraterrestrials, and they've been aboard the same ships I have, and I've been been a commander aboard a ship, and and they were taken the the same night I was there, and they saw me working with the extraterrestrials. So I've heard that story multiple times. So. Um, I hear it without going to hypnotherapists. I know a lot of hypnotherapists. Um, Yvonne Smith is a, is a good one I would recommend if you're looking for something like that. But I, I don't know. I would take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Go to an actual therapist, too. If, you know, Yvonne if does good who, work. Yeah. yeah if, if someone who's completely disconnected from the UFO topic might be a good choice. Or, again, yeah, deal with it on your own terms, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's good advice. Hello. Hello. Um, this this happened about uh, three years ago, um, and in um, Ashburn, Virginia. It's not too far from Dulles Airport. Mm. And um, this was at nighttime, about eight thirty or so. I was picking my daughter up from work, and I just always have a habit of just looking up at night. I don't know why. I just always do. And um, I notice twelve objects in the sky. And I was like, okay, this is kind of strange because there were 
12, um, I don't want to say flying saucers, but like 12 disc-like objects. And they were all kind of bunched together. And they had like, it was like red, white, and green lights. And they were traveling as a bunch. And I told my kids, I had my kids in the car. Um, I was like, look, you know, look, what is that? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And so we, we watched them for a minute. And I, as I was driving, I kept looking. I'm like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden, it was like there was a sudden drop. And then they darted off in different directions quickly. And I've never seen anything like that. I'm like, planes don't travel like that. And planes wouldn't, you know, do what, what I saw. I'm like, what in the world is that? And we were, um, as I was driving, I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm so scared. I just want to hurry up and get in my house because I didn't know what was going on. I called my husband at work. He thought I was crazy. I'm like, there's something going on in the sky. I don't know if you don't hear from me again. This is what's going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... Um, and I, I told some of my coworkers and stuff the next day what I saw, and everybody's like, oh, you're crazy. You're crazy as nothing, you know. And we're so close to Dulles, it was planes. I'm like, no, it's not planes. And mm-hmm. I have a cousin who's a pilot, and I was telling him about it. He's like, no, planes don't act like that. So I don't know what it was, but it, it really scared me. Yeah, it's, it's, I feel like it's in our nature to... Uh, to have that defense first. Mm-hmm. You know, we see something, we don't know what it is, we mm-hmm. can't explain. It's going to be a threat. It's mm-hmm. p- possibly a threat. You know, whereas some people, you know, like someone like Travis Walton saw a UFO and was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go out and I want to see mm-hmm. what's going on yeah. with this thing. So yeah. those are rare occasions, I yeah. would say, when yeah. that, that wonder, awe, and excitement yeah. takes over. It was, it was just, it was scary. And I guess what really scared me is the fact that there were so many of them. Because yeah. I, yeah. I stopped counting at 12. There mm-hmm. may have been more than that. But the fact that they were just, you know, they were all kind of traveling together for a minute, and then they just darted, I mean, like a sudden drop almost. And then this one went here, and this one, I mean, this in different directions quickly. Interesting. Wow. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And with how common UFOs are, I mean, they're seen every day by people all over the world. You know, it's fascinating and, and sad that we still have to deal with the ridicule factor. It's still so strong. I mean, you know, I'm sure many of us have had that reaction at work telling telling people a story or something that happened to us and getting that getting that laugh, getting the ridicule. I have lost so many second dates bringing up this topic. <laughs> it's a good way to weed out a date, though. It, it is. Yeah. It's true. It really is a good filtering mechanism, I guess, for sure. Hi. Mine is more of an experience that I can't explain. Um, I'm a few decades older than you guys, but this uh, the first part of this happened in the 50s. And unlike most people, I can remember my childhood very vividly, and I was very precocious and active, walked at seven months, started knocking things off the top of the refrigerator by climbing up right after that. So I was about two, and we were traveling through Missouri, and I heard my in the back seat and I heard my father say look at that look at that and he says what is that and he and my mother got out they stopped the car and got out to look at whatever it was and I thought well I want to see it too you know I'm just rambunctious I got to be in everything but the whole time I felt like something was pressing me down on the back seat and I couldn't get up and then I went to sleep now jump forward a couple of years I lived in very isolated areas we didn't have a television I had no exposure to anything that would be considered science fiction or anything else although I think my father had taken some astronomy he had a PhD so that was one of the courses he took but 
when I was five, I had this really vivid dream. I can still visualize it. And it was something I couldn't understand. And I didn't have the vocabulary to explain it, which, you know, makes me feel a little bit sympathetic towards the stories of uh, encounters from the Bible and whatnot, because they didn't have the technical language either. But I tried to tell my father about it after I woke up, and I'm giving him these detailed and you know, descriptions, and he kind of teared up. He says, what you just described was a spaceship going around Mars, and the two smaller items were Phobos and Deimos, which are the moons. I had never heard of anything like that, but it was just really vivid. So I don't know if some information was implanted or how that would have come about, but... That's my story. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Yeah, there's always an interesting physiological effect, too, I think, a lot of these times, or even parapsychological. I've come across cases where people have said that I, I just, something told me I should look up in the sky at this moment, or I should go outside, or I should look out my window right now, and almost like it's drawing them to see it, where on the other hand, we have so many cases where the UFO just fell into their lap, complete happenstance, so I don't know what to make of that, the motives of these craft or these intelligence, but it's it really is a wide spectrum, for sure. And I just thought of something, another thing I like to point people to when they ask that question about how do I see a UFO or where do I go to see a UFO. More times than not, when you read, and again, UFOs are in mainstream media every day, more times than not, the stories that are reported of people having UFO sightings involve people walking their dogs. So walk your dogs more, people. (laughs) So that's a good way to do it. And I also want to say, again, with the, the UFOs being in the mainstream media, there has been a lot of uh, a lot of the coverage lately has has been pointing out how the numbers of, of UFO sightings are down. There's there's been a decline, and I would caution you to read that properly. So, what they're looking at is the number of reported sightings. And I will say this: having mentioned that I've had my twelve plus sightings, you know how many I've reported. Yeah, most people who see UFOs don't report them. So that number is misleading. I didn't know what MUFON was when I was 12 years old. You know, a lot of people don't. You, 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 the famous UFO lecturer Stanton Friedman, nuclear physicist, when he speaks at events, he will ask the audience, like, how many people have seen a UFO? 95% of the people raise their hands. And then he says, how many of you reported it? Maybe one person. So... It's hard. It's hard. And there's so many reasons for not reporting it. I get it. I totally get it. You know, you're afraid of what people might think, or maybe you came up with an explanation for it before you reported it, or maybe you just don't want to know. But at the end of the day, I think, yeah, if you want, if you see something, say something. That's what they tell us in New York. And I I encourage people to report their sightings, absolutely. And that data is valuable. And I think MUFON and the National UFO Reporting Center do a fantastic job. They they do a great job of tracking this stuff. It's stuff that should be tracked. Is it exciting when people say, I saw a light in the sky? No, it's not. But it's still data that somebody should be tracking, and I'm glad that they do it. Um, That being said, when you take a look at these reporting forms, some of them are very lengthy. 
there, and that's probably why I haven't reported mine because <laughs> they want to long be specific, forms to I fill out, and they should be. I mean, there's more to a UFO sighting than I saw light in the sky at this t- this time in this day. So yeah. At the end of the day, I think, too, reporting it uh, normalizes this topic more and more. When we see everyday people, I have spoken to so many police officers, military people, doctors, uh, teachers, psychologists, everyone. Everyone has a story to tell of seeing something weird. So I think, you know, reporting it, even if it's like to your local newspaper or whatnot, it normalizes this topic. It strips the ridicule from it. And I think we can start having better conversations with more people about this. I mean, just look at this room right now. These are so many people that you could talk to about having seen something, no matter what it was. Maybe they could help you find an explanation for it. But uh, Conferences are a great, great place yeah. to do that. They're like a safe space where... All the similarly minded people are, are in a room, and, and the ridicule factor is is not going to exist here. But I will say the stigma is is going away. Um, it might not feel like it at times, but it is dramatically improving. And look, I mean, again, Alien Con is a perfect illustration of that. UFOs and, and extraterrestrial topics have moved into pop culture. You know, so it's accepted now. Poll after poll indicates that, you know, majority of the people on this planet believe that uh, extraterrestrials exist and most likely have been here and may be here now. So, you know, that initial reaction with people is going to stick around for a while. Uh, the, the, the giggle factor, the ridicule factor, can tell you how many people hear us when they hear that we are taking UFOs seriously, they breathe a big sigh of relief and then open up. But their initial reaction is to laugh because they think we're kidding yeah. when we say that, you know, we, we take UFO seriously. And when they find out that we're serious, then they can let their guard down and go, all right, they're not going to make fun of me. <laughs> so it's a nice feeling. It really nice is. Feeling. Yeah, I remember my parents came to see me talk at a UFO conference for the first time ever. And uh, skeptics, again, they they grew up knowing I was interested in the topic. I don't think they knew how serious that I actually was about it, but uh, they came to see me speak in New York last year, I think it was, and afterwards my mother came up to me, and I've never seen her so brutally honest, and she looked at me and said, this is real, Like, like this stuff is real, and I was like, yeah, I mean, according to the data and the evidence and what I've looked at and the people I've spoken to, I legitimately believe this is a real phenomenon. People are having these experiences. I don't know what it is, but it's happening, and it's happening all over the world. And this isn't just a Western phenomenon. Other countries embrace this topic. That ridicule factor is nowhere to be found. So I think if we do that here, we're, we're in good shape. And you know, people like my mom, who was a staunch skeptic, uh, is starting to come around and be like, wow, I should look more into this. And uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a pivotal moment for me for yeah for something like that. That's when I knew that the ridicule factor was leaving for sure. I'm optimistic. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, we want to thank the uh, awesome Alien Con audience for participating with us today. And as we wrap up this episode, I'll quickly let you know that my podcast Unknown is available on all the podcast places. And certainly all the episodes are on our website, RoguePlanet.tv. Uh, yeah, other than that, um, there's an experience or session later today at 2.40. Come talk to me. I want to hear your stories. And that's going to do it for us, guys. This is Ryan Sprague. I'm Jason McClellan. Thank you for joining us. Do me a favor, friends. Stay strange.
Hi, my name's Jason. I'm 40 years old, and I reside in a rural part of eastern Oregon. Before I get into my experience, I want to just state where my interest in UFOs originates. When I was probably in the fourth or fifth grade, um, I saw a commercial for Time Life's Mysteries of the Unknown. Now, in this commercial, uh, there's a segment in which they show these recurring pictures of what we would term gray aliens, and it shows it over and over again. Now, I remember the fear that I felt at that age looking at those pictures, and uh, subsequently, any time I'd walk around a corner, I would always be afraid that I would see one, or, you know, I thought that if I would ever look through a window, uh, maybe I would see one staring at me. So I would always make sure that the windows were shut, the blinds were closed, and they were latched. That's the last kind of experience I wanted to have. But that's where my interest originates, I guess. Now, the experience that I had, um, it happened in uh, late June of 2011. Now, I'm a jogger, and uh, I was jogging on this path between uh, this sports complex and the local high school where I live. Now, westward um, are some mountains. And at this time, it was dusk, so the sun had just set behind the peaks of those mountains. But there was still a little bit of light coming through. Now, out of nowhere, I just decided to look over to my right, towards the mountains. And as I look over to my right, I see this flash of light. And my first thought was, since it was at the base of the mountain where a lot of um, fields are, that it was probably a crop duster or just a helicopter and the light was being reflected off the metallic surface. I mean, it seems logical enough, right? Well, as I keep looking, um, I notice that it starts speeding up and that this uh, light isn't just a flash, but it's a sustained ball of light. Uh, now, as it approaches um, what you would term a badland hill at the base of one of these mountains, and it's heading southward, by the way, it's moving in the same direction I am. So as it approaches this hill, it shoots up at what I would describe to be probably a 60 degree angle and it does so very rapidly now as it goes up it heads left to my direction which is eastward and it approaches me at a high rate of speed now when it finally comes above my head there are two things that I noticed first of all it's blinking really fast almost as if it were a really fast strobe light it was producing that type of effect and at the same time, it looked like it was undulating. And this was like a, a darker shade of yellow is the color I would describe it. And, you know, when I see this passing over my head, I remember distinctly thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe this is actually happening. You know, you hear about this on on TV, maybe, or you read about it in books or magazines or on crazy Internet forums where where people talk about crazy things all the time. But you never really think that it's going to happen to you and you never really think that you're going to see this. Well, I saw it hands down. Now, as it passes over my head, it keeps going in the same direction and it's gaining altitude at this point. As it gets higher into the atmosphere, it pulsates three or four times and then it immediately, immediately it looks like it snuffed out as if someone snuffed it out like a candle. I mean, it just disappeared. It, it contracted and was gone. Now, when I was on my way home, I finished my jog. And the, the, the bizarre part about all of this is that, yes, I was surprised. Yes, I was kind of excited. But at the same time, I had this really calm, serene feeling. And it didn't really feel natural, to be honest. Uh, it felt like it was something surreal, like it... It didn't really happen, but it did. Now, a couple of days later, 
my wife and I are, are at our friend's house eating dinner, and I bring this event up to them. And the reason why I did this was because the place where this light originated from, when I saw it, was right near their property. They own property right there on the on the base of the mountain. So I'm like, hey guys, there's something going on over here. Did you see anything? I'd really like to know if you did. And of course they didn't. Uh, and that night when we left, my wife and I, we were driving on the highway towards our house. And I decided to look left over into the direction where I had seen that light a couple days before ago. And I see what appears to be uh, an orange ball of light rising into the air at a steady speed. Really slow and steady. So I pointed it out to my wife, and I am like, so, hey, do you see this? And she's like, yeah, I see it. So we pull over, and we get out of the car. And by the time we get out and we look up, there are now three balls of orange light in the sky, and they're forming what appeared to be an equilateral triangle. I mean, they were very evenly spaced, right? And then after looking at it for a couple of minutes, they one by one went out. Now, I'm look, I'm thinking about these experiences, and you know, sometimes you think it could be anything, but I have a really weird feeling that the synchronicities in this are, are too uncanny. Um, I'm not really much of a metaphysical person in that way. I'm, I'm not really uh, into the woo factor, so to speak. But in retrospect, when I look back on these events, I ask myself, what are the odds that I would look in that direction at that time and see that light and have it pass directly over my head, almost as if it were coming in my direction purposefully for me to see it? When I first thought about this, I thought, you know what? It seems like it was trying to avoid being seen because it was going so fast. But the more I think about it, it almost seems like it wanted to be seen both times because the fact that I was looking in those directions at that specific time in that specific way. It really kind of reinforces, you know, that fear that I've always had about shutting my windows and whatnot, <laughs> especially into into my older age now, I suppose. But one thing I think that is that makes this really poignant, so to speak, is that, you know, some people will say, I, I know what it is I saw. I know what I saw. You know, I, I, I'm not of the same mind. I say I have no idea what I saw. I don't know what it was. However, I do know what it was not. It was not a plane. It was not a satellite. It was not a balloon. It was not a helicopter. It was nothing man-made. That's for sure. My name is Elle from Northeast Ohio. I was about seven when this sighting occurred. It was the first I can ever recall. It certainly wasn't the last, though. I loved to play this game in my backyard that I called Bus Driver. It's exactly the way it sounds. I'd walk around the yard and pretend that I was a bus driver picking the kids up to go to school. I don't know why it was fun, but I loved doing it, and I did it almost every single day. This particular day, I remember there was something going on inside the house. I, um, my mom's family was over. So I slipped away, went outside, and started to play my game. And when I got closer to the house, um, there was a deck on the back of the house that had a set of steps that were right 
at the back of the house. Like you could go up the steps and go right inside the door. And when I got there, something compelled me to look up and look over my shoulder kind of behind me. And there, like maybe 20 or 30 feet in the air, not very high off the ground, was the literal definition of a flying saucer. Absolutely the most typical saucer that, you know, you could see in pop culture, that you usually see in pop culture. It was small, incredibly small. Like, if there were people inside, there could only be one. That's how small it was. And we lived in a ranch home that my parents had just built so it was not you know it, it was you know exactly that about 20 to 30 feet up, like tall and the craft didn't even they it didn't even clear the chimney it's crazy how long the moment went on or goes on in my memory because there are so many details that I can recall I remember it was silver but it wasn't reflective. It had three lights that I could see and they were turned off, but I could see what colors they would be if they were turned on. Um, <laughs> one would be blue, one would be yellow, and one would be red. And it was just so small. That's still, to this day, one of the two things that baffles me the most is how small it was and how close it was. I had never experienced anything like this. I had never wanted to. It had never been something that was what I was interested in. I loved Barbies and Hot Wheels. I didn't care about space. I didn't care about aliens. I didn't care about any of that stuff. So for me to see this was odd. It wasn't something that I would have been seeking out. Sometimes in the memories I can recall a figure or being inside the dome on top of the craft. Sometimes I can't. I'm not sure which it would be. Maybe it was both. Maybe it was something I'm just creating in my mind. But I know what I did see. And I know that it was there in front of me. Everything was silent. Like, I, there was no sounds. I don't even know what really compelled me to look up because I was just minding my own business, playing my little bus driver game, and something caused me to look up. I ran inside. I didn't want to be around anything like that. I, when I got inside, my great-grandmother was standing right there, and she's like, Oh, you look like you just saw a ghost. I'm like, all I could say was no and <laughs> shook my head. And I didn't say anything about it to her. At some point, I did tell my parents. Um, my dad didn't believe me. My mom didn't say anything at the time, but I found out later that she most definitely did believe me. Um, my dad thought it was an excuse to go to not have to go outside because in the months that followed over that summer, I didn't want to go outside whether I was with someone or not. I didn't want to see that again. 
I would sit on the floor of my bedroom with my yellow lined tablet and draw this house, draw this girl, and then draw this flying saucer. And it was utterly silent when the incident happened, but when I was drawing these, I would always have some kind of caption on that flying saucer. It would always say something like, the one I remember the most is, L, it's us, we're not here to harm you. And it's like, I had never known about aliens or abductions or anything like that. So I don't know why I added, you know, those little captions onto these pictures. I hid them. Um, I know eventually my mom did see them, but I hid them and eventually I threw them away because I was embarrassed. And that's how I've felt in the following years um, since since the, that first sighting. There have been other sightings. There have been other experiences that have that should confirm to me that I'm not crazy, but I, I do feel so crazy every single day for believing in, you know, aliens and UFOs and being on this journey of <laughs> truth seeking. I used to be so shameless when in my teen, young teen years, I was so shameless about making, trying to make people believe in it. Um, I thought that if they heard my story, then they would have to believe it because they know me. Why would I lie? So therefore my story to me was the most compelling truth to them to make them believe it. But I kind of became an outcast in part because of that belief. And eventually I kind of shut up about it. Um, I never, I never really speak about it publicly anymore. I just live and let be. Um, there are other experiences that I've had that I shouldn't feel so insane, but every single day of my life, I do. I completely feel crazy for seeing the things that I've seen and believing what I do. They say seeing is believing, but I guess sometimes even seeing it can't make you believe it. This is Cameron Brower. Thanks so much for having me. I grew up in northern Montana right near the Canadian border. The nearest town with over 100 people in it was about 25 miles away, so I was surrounded by millions of acres of empty prairie topped by an endless sky full of stars. And, well, in that part of Montana, you can definitely see some UFOs. I would almost guarantee that if anyone went out to that part of the prairie only a mile or so from the house that I grew up in and spent three or so nights looking, you'd probably see a UFO, probably more than one. My friends and I spent countless nights sleeping under the stars. We would stare most of the night at the sky, and we would see amazing things like satellites and other things that looked like satellites but probably weren't. These dim lights would travel across the sky just like a satellite, but they would do other things that were amazing. Just when you thought you were looking at another satellite, the small dim light above would stop 
or it would change direction 90 degrees or do a complete 180. Sometimes they would even approach other lights with identical intensity and stop, then continue on and stop at another light, sometimes stopping three or four times before they would blast across the sky at unimaginable speeds and disappear. During the summer of 1983, which was the year between my sophomore and junior year of high school, I had a job. I worked at a radio station. My usual shift was about 6 p.m. to midnight. I had my own car, and I drove the 25 miles to and from work several times a week. Um, after work, that always gave me a chance to do a lot of thinking and to also look for lights in the sky and other strange-looking lights, which were not too hard to find even when driving. So one night I was traveling home a little later than usual. I was about halfway home. There was no moon and I was the only car on the road. This was not unusual. If you were on this stretch of highway, you were most likely a trucker going to or coming from Canada. I was listening to my AM radio in my old 66 Chevy when all of a sudden an emerald green light lit up the whole sky. And I'm talking the whole sky. The light was coming from my side of the car, and I quickly looked over just in time to see the green streak the object made across and parallel to my left, to the horizon. There was also a whoosh sound, but not so much because of the object or the object flying through our atmosphere. It was almost like the light object made its own sound, and I know that's hard to explain, but there was definitely a whoosh sound. I estimate the light was more than 40 miles away, but less than 80. I could see the Rocky Mountain front behind the light, and I saw something else as well. I saw what looked like dozens of gray dots and dashes that were peppering the night sky just above the horizon of the Rockies. I knew these gray dots were the profile of some kind of craft that were probably floating in the night sky. They were absolutely in formation and I could barely make them out after the green light was totally gone but they remained there maybe for 20 seconds or more just kind of hovering then something incredible happened in formation they moved slightly forward and then made an abrupt ascent and began spiraling in formation into the sky they were in groups spiraling and heading totally vertical and then there was a flash of green at the highest point in their travel and they became one gray streak that actually glowed a little grayer in the sky as they continued straight up. They definitely seemed to bleed into one streak as they stretched up and out of sight in an incredible flash and, and an incredible demonstration of speed. And in less than a second, they were gone. There was another brief flash of green at that point, very high in the sky, and they disappeared. I didn't get the impression they were making that green glow at all. I am definitely thinking they were under fire or making an escape. I couldn't see anything pursuing them, but for sure they were trying to flee something. So I can't help but wonder if I witnessed some kind of interstellar battle right here on Earth, right in the middle of Montana. Thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast, Ryan. Good luck. Hi, Ryan. This is Brandy from Omaha calling in my story. Back in October of 2011, my then-fiancé and I were driving home from dinner one night, and it was still kind of early, so we decided we were going to hit a couple of the local bars on the way home. Um, on our way back, we were coming over this expressway, and looking up, there was probably about 
seven to ten reddish amberish colored lights all throughout the sky um we really wanted to pull over and just watch them but there was really nowhere on this expressway to pull over safely so we just kind of slowed down and just kept staring at them and driving and it didn't really seem like any of the other drivers were paying any attention to him. Nobody else was slowing down. Nobody else was pulling over or anything. Um, so we were just kind of watching them as we were trying to drive, and we just kept noticing more and more of them just kind of just kept blinking out. Uh, there, one of them remained by the time that we got parked to go into one of the bars, and it, the thought that struck me was, I just got past this. Uh, and that thought just kind of kept just rolling around in my head, and it it sat with me for some time, but I kind of didn't think in any, anything else of it. And then a few years later, I had kind of a whirlwind of experiences all just kind of happen at the same time. I kind of started back up again in April of 2015. I awoke to the sound of this tapping noise, um, what would have been on one window or corner of the house. So I went to go see what was making the noise and that's when I noticed there was another light outside of the window and it was just kind of flashing this erratic white red multicolor blink to it and it was just kind of fascinating and I was watching it for a little bit and I would notice it would kind of just bounce and weave and move around just enough to be noticeable but not really go anywhere and I think I sat and watched it for maybe about an hour before I just finally got tired of it and went to bed and for the next few nights it was just there and every night and then after about a week or so I stopped seeing it um, after that point I just kind of got hit with a flurry of just synchronicities and all kind of all these little signs pointing to things that were going on in my life and I had this mad rush to try and read and take in and consume anything I could about UFOs, aliens, uh, experiencers, anything of that fashion. And it it was just a nonstop drive to try and consume everything that I could. And I think in that time, a lot of childhood memories came back of stuff that has happened to me collectively over the years. And I had one experience that I always thought was a dream, but turned out thinking back, I don't really think that was the case. Um, I lived right next to my grandparents when I was little. And so during the summer when my parents were at work, I had free reign to bounce between my grandma's house and mine. And one summer afternoon, I was playing in my room and my room had four windows in it because it was kind of on the back corner of the house. And they were pretty tall, I'd say maybe about 10 feet off the ground or so. Uh, I had this girl come and tap at my window and I didn't think anything of it because I had half-sisters that would sometimes come and visit me and so I I just didn't really think anything of it and I didn't know this one girl in particular but I remember her coming to play with me one other time and she she had red hair and for some reason I thought she was another one of my half-sisters because I only saw them once every couple times a year so I, I I mean I was small maybe like four or five so I didn't really pay attention to who some of these people were and this girl she came tapping at my window and I remember thinking how did you get up there and she wanted me to come outside and play and so I did I don't really remember going out but I did and we were playing on the swing set and I kept asking her like how did you get up to the window well then I had there was a little piece of tin that was 
up against the side of the house. Well, she said she climbed up it. I tried to replicate it, and I couldn't. I just blew it off, and I didn't think anything else of it. And it was a little later. We were playing on the swing set, and she kept trying to ask me to do something. And I don't remember what the question was, but I was just so distraught. And I remember thinking, you're mean. I don't want you to come and play with me anymore. And she kept just trying to convince me to to go with her and I didn't want to go with her and then the next thing I remember I'm standing in the backyard and behind my bedroom there was a fenced off garden and in this garden was this little scout ship thing and I remember standing there and she was there and I was begging her that I didn't want to go inside of this thing and she she was just it was like she'd just gotten really mean and pushy and she was making me and I was pleading not to do it. I don't remember ever actually going inside of it, but I do remember being inside of it on this like dark table. It was dark in there and it had this weird like amber kind of lighting against the floor and that's all I remember. But instead of being face up, I was like face down on the table. Like, And I remember being told not to look. And I, at that point, I went from being upset to just angry because this girl was talking to whoever was behind me and I wasn't allowed to look and I was mad about it. And I remember uh, just laying there crying and crying. And the next thing I knew, I was back in bed and just sobbing. And I remember just having such relief thinking, oh, that was such a terrible dream. But after that I remember having friends over and I remember showing them this girl came up to my window and she climbed up and we were trying to climb up the back part of the house like how this girl was to get up how she was and I I could never do it and I don't know how she did it so thinking back it really wasn't a dream it it really did happen Um, and so it There's just a lot of other experiences I'd be happy to call in sometime, Uh, but that was was one of the major wake-up calls I've had, and I've had uh, a lot of mornings where I've had weird dreams where I felt like they were in my room with me. I've woken up with marks to correspond with the kinds of dreams I've had, Um, and it's... It was really crazy. In some way, I was kind of happy that I had some sort of justification to all the weird things that have happened my entire life and then also it was very alarming because I have no control over it and it's kind of lonesome because you don't really have anybody you can talk to about it thankfully my dad has kind of had similar experiences so he has been kind of my saving grace and that I can talk to him about some of the goings-on in my life and we have had a few sort of shared events um so that's been nice but for the most part it's it's opened my eyes to a lot of things and it's made me appreciate and take great value in life um and and just kind of have a whole new outlook on humanity and also it's very stressful because you never know when things are going to flare up again and you have no control of how it's going to affect your life outwardly um, and you a lot of times you just want to talk to somebody about it and 
you don't always have that opportunity. So <laughs> you're struggling with things in kind of your private life that you can't really explain to anybody else. And so it's taught me to have a really good balancing act in life. But I thank you for having a platform for us to share our stories. We appreciate hearing that we're, we're not the only people that experience things like this. So thanks, Ryan. At about 4.44 p.m. on November 26, 2009, when I walked out of the AVRC facility in Danville, Virginia, they didn't come from anywhere. They didn't suddenly beam in. There they were, two 20-foot orbs, glowing, beautiful light, uh, rose-colored light, with a thin layer of yellow light around each one, one slightly set higher in the sky, uh, only about 120 feet from the ground, only about 120 feet from where I was standing. And um, I should have said something profound, but all I could say was, well, will you look at that? I grabbed my binoculars out of my truck, which is right there, and watched as the first one that I got into focus, the lower one in the sky, began to develop a lip of invisibility that covered the whole sphere in the course of about 14 seconds, after which I moved my binoculars to look at the other one. It, too, began to have a lip of invisibility that formed and took about 14 seconds to completely cloak it. Ultimately, the meaning uh, can be boiled down to this, as we cannot see the stars during the day, or we cannot see the air we breathe, it does not mean it does not exist or they do not exist. What do I draw from the whole experience? That great things are coming with living for, with dying for. And obviously, we are not alone. My name is Tim McMillan, and in 2011, I saw something in the sky that I still cannot find a prosaic explanation for. It ultimately thrust me down the rabbit hole of the entire UFO enigma. Uh, that particular night, it was December, it was a very cold night, and I was leaving a friend of mine's house uh, in Rankin, Georgia, just outside Savannah. It's about 11, 11.30 at night, and me and her were just talking in her front yard. And I remember it was a really bitterly cold night, and living here on the coast, it's really on those coldest nights are the only times you get to see really nice, beautiful, starry skies. Typically the humidity, uh, we don't get to see some of those really picturesque night scenes that other people get to see. And so we were chatting and just um, you know, hanging out before I left. And it, admittedly, I, I've always been a stargazer and always had a fascination with the sky and so I was gazing up in the air when suddenly you know, inexplicably out of the blue these three bright lights just popped up as if somebody was flipping a light switch and they were in a straight line and they were the brightest color white you could possibly imagine but yet also had kind of a, a antique yellow tinge to them it's hard to describe but they were they just like i said it was like somebody cut on a light switch and uh it was one of these events it's, it's not something where uh, you see something strange in the sky and you go hey what's that now this was something as soon as it emerged uh, both me and my friend were, were 
just holy cow look at that i mean it just dominated the night sky and right in front of us and um perfectly in a straight little row you know they were probably about the size of a pea if you held it out at arm's length Uh, and they were evenly spaced almost in a sequence and they stayed like that for I don't know, 10, 15 seconds. And then they all three just went out again as if somebody just cut out a light switch. And so, you know, we were standing there dumbfounded. What, what was that? What could that have been? And, and they were kind of low on the horizon as well. And, uh, you know, it definitely didn't look like anything we had ever seen before. And they, they stayed off for probably another 15, 20 seconds. And then all of a sudden, the same three lights cut right back on except this time there were two other lights and, and all of them were in a row as if in a, they were attached to a straight uh, level surface except the the two additional lights that came on they were spaced uh, a little distance away from the first three and it was only when an, all five of them just cut on like that abruptly that i suddenly realized that against the ambient light of the horizon there appeared to be this kind of rectangular, almost like a giant pizza box that, that seemed to be blocking out the ambient light on the horizon. Um, I mean, if this thing was a solid structure, it was huge um, and low flying. Uh, it didn't make any noise. And, and with all five lights popped up, the, the lights themselves were so bright, it was, it was kind of difficult to see. But you could see the, the very straight edges of what looked like a giant pizza box <laughs> um, I don't know what color other than it was darker darker enough that it, it kind of blocked out the, the city lights there and um, all five lights stayed on like that for probably another 20 seconds or so and then all five just disappeared again it was as if somebody was flipping a switch on and then off at the time, I, uh, I was a police officer. I was a sergeant. I, I ran a shift, a patrol shift. Uh, I'd end up being a lieutenant before I retired. And the officer who was with me, she, she was a sergeant. She still is a sergeant with the police force. And so we were accustomed to working nights. We worked in an area where there's a lot of military activity, Hunter Army Airfield, Fort Stewart, uh, the Marine Air Station at Beaufort. Um, the Air National Guard base. And so we've seen plenty of military planes and aircraft. And But this was not anything like I've ever seen before, either of us. Um, in addition, it was not in an area of the sky that should have... Uh, it was not typical for commercial or military aircraft. It wasn't in one of the, the typical flight lanes. And to this day, I... I have no idea, and I've never seen anything that could possibly explain what we saw. Uh, to my knowledge, there's n- there's no flying craft uh, that I'm aware of. They're as large as this thing. I mean, if, if that solid pizza box shape was a solid structure, this thing would have to have been three or four football fields big. It was massive. Uh, but as soon as those lights cut off, it was as if it just disappeared. And, um, I mean, I, that just, I, uh, I love, I love mysteries. I, I love solving mysteries. 
And so that was such a mysterious occurrence that it's, it drove me crazy, and it ended up igniting this passion and interest to determine what have we seen. And, and like I said, it thrust me down that rabbit hole of really, I guess, getting into ufology and, and trying to uh, effort to explain what, what what was it that we saw that night. And and so it it definitely captured my curiosity. It fascinated me. And to this day, I would still love to know what it is that I saw. The friend that I was with, she uh, it kind of scared her because it was just so outside of the norm of what is supposed to happen. And um, the thing that would ultimately end up shocking me the most is in my efforts to try to determine what was this that I saw, I remember, you know, doing like every other, uh, you know, normal modern person in society and hitting on Google and typing all sorts of different search terms to try to figure out uh, if I could determine, you know, anything that could account for this. And uh, I ended up on MUFON's website. And when I started looking through their sighting reports, at the time they were publicly available, I was shocked to find out that that very same night, about 15, 20 minutes before our sighting, um, in a city just west of us, which was the direction that we were observing this object, uh, somebody else had reported it to move on. And uh, that was shocking because um, there was no doubt in my mind that it was real. Uh, but to have an independent eyewitness in a totally different area that I still to this day have no clue who those people are, but to corroborate what we had seen, they saw exactly, they described exactly what we had seen. Well, now this became very, very real. There's no, no other remaining doubts that somehow we, we could have hallucinated this, though I never really believed that to begin with. And so then it became very real because I became a part of, I had seen something with someone else uh, that equally saw it, that now it was real. And uh, I did end up, I ended up reporting the sighting, and I think that was one of the one of the sombering moments was when, after the investigator, you know, several weeks they had looked into it, and uh, he spoke to me on the phone, and I said, "Well, what what is it?" And he said, I, "It's a UFO. We don't know." Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> like I said, I like solving mysteries, and that didn't stick with me, and still hasn't to this day, and so the past eight years since then I've been very heavily involved in trying to determine not just what I saw but what are other people seeing and so it, it ultimately all began that one December night and uh, yeah I don't expect anybody to believe it just by my word but I most definitely know what I saw and it wasn't flares it wasn't uh, pareidolia it wasn't anything like that it was something what that something was I don't know but it was definitely real. All right, welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I am your host, Ryan Sprague, and with me today is Jason McClellan from the Unknown Podcast, and we are live at AlienCon Los Angeles. How's everyone doing? 
Oh, thank God. I'm always worried about that, that it's going to be crickets. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. There are never crickets at AlienCon. Everybody's not. excited at AlienCon. This is the yeah. best UFO conference, and we do these things all the time, but AlienCon is by far the biggest and the funnest event, bringing people together of all walks of life to talk about ancient alien theory, uh, aliens in general, experiences, UFOs. Uh, it's a place where we can all come together, talk about it, not be judged, and have a good time. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing today. Uh, this is a series of my show I call Witness Accounts. And this is where people come onto my show and tell their UFO stories in their own voices. I think that is much much more important than me relaying their story to the audience is hearing them tell their own story, how they experienced it, what they think it was, and the impact it had on their lives. Uh, UFOs come and go in the blink of an eye, but the impact they have on people can be extremely strong in many aspects of their lives. So what we're going to sort of start out with here today is telling you guys about our own personal UFO encounters, because we both have had them, and that's kind of set us on the path we are today. So I, I guess I'll share mine first, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure, go for yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so I was 12 years old, and this was in the uh, central New York area on the East Coast, and I was fishing off of a dock at a motel with my parents, and we were on a weekend getaway, and this river, the St. Lawrence River, literally was the border between the U.S. and Canada, and it was just turning dark, and I was out on the dock at the motel fishing by myself, listening to uh, to Green Day on my Discman. This is back in 1995. Yep, it was the Dookie album. I remember that specifically. And um, it was starting to get dark, so I reeled my line in because I was done for the night. And I noticed a reflection in the water. And it was three white lights. And at first I thought it was something in the water, so I like got down and looked. And then I realized, you know, clearly this was a, refl- a reflection. So naturally I look up and... I can't tell you how high it was, but there was a triangular formation with three white lights and a sort of, like, reddish-orange basketball thing in the middle. And it was just hovering above me, this formation. I didn't see, like, a structure to this thing. I didn't see any mechanics, nothing like that. I only saw this formation of lights, but I could not see anything behind the formation. I couldn't see the stars. I couldn't see the moon, nothing like that. And it just hovered silently over my head. It was very, very big. And I remember trying to scream for my father, who was in the motel, probably... I don't know, maybe like 40 feet away from me. And I couldn't. I I couldn't get anything out. I was so scared at what I was looking at. And I felt frozen there. I I, I couldn't move. And I just kind of stared up kept watching this thing and then it started to float over the water and that's when I finally for some reason was able to like get out of this frozen state and I squealed to my father I was like dad dad you gotta see this and he runs out and he did catch the tail end of this triangular formation as it either headed towards Canada and disappeared out of sight or literally submerged into the water. Neither of us know. We've argued about that, about what we both think happened. But that was kind of it for me. Um, I was terrified at what I'd seen. I knew that 
planes made noise and this made no noise. It hovered and then started to move silently. And uh, I had nightmares for years after that. I didn't really talk about it with anyone. And my dad didn't talk about it either. And um, I kind of became obsessed after that. I wanted to sort of educate myself to get rid of of that uh, fear and terror that I felt that night. I started taking out books at the library on UFOs and uh, Bigfoot, anything I could get my hands on. And um, that kind of sent me on the path I am today, interviewing witnesses who've had experiences like me, uh, were afraid to talk about it for a really long time, but now are ready to embrace it. So, so it's interesting, every time I hear your story, that the fear you describe, yeah. right? Because it seems irrational when you think about it, because this thing didn't do any sort of hostile act towards you. It didn't do anything that made you think it was going to hurt you, but... It was this unknown, and that unknown created this fear, and that's common among people who who witness these bizarre things they can't explain that are outside of their reality. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, again, I was only a kid, but I knew, I, I mean, and I was no aviation expert, but I knew that whatever the thing was, it should have been making some sort of noise if this was like a vehicle of some sort yeah. or a blimp or um, even a balloon. Like this thing hovered, stopped, hovered, stopped, and then went over the water. So yeah. it was it was a fear of the unknown, I think, um, that that really stuck with me. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I know Jason, you've had a few experiences. So I would love if you wouldn't mind sharing some of those with the audience as well. Sure. I, the most exciting one, I think probably has to be the Phoenix Lights, and many of you are probably familiar with the Phoenix Lights, but just a quick overview, the Phoenix Lights occurred over the state of Arizona and some neighboring states too um, in March of 1997. This was a mass UFO sighting seen by thousands of people across the state. As with any UFO sighting and specifically a mass UFO sighting, you have varying stories from all these witnesses. That's how witness testimony works. Um, But essentially a large craft was seen traversing the entire state uh, by lots of people. There was also a series of about seven lights seen just stationary in the sky. And there were also reportedly military flares dropped that night at a different time that doesn't coincide with the mass sighting that occurred. What I witnessed that night was a series of seven stationary lights in the sky. And although that doesn't sound all that exciting especially for somebody like me now looking back on it, somebody who spent more than a decade researching and writing about UFOs and really looking into strange things in the sky and not-so-strange things in the sky to learn what is up there, what isn't up there, and what things should look like in the sky if I were to see those things. That night was really bizarre for me. So I, I grew up in rural Arizona on the far west side of the Phoenix metro area. Nothing around. Very remote area, just out in the desert. So, on, and I spent a lot of time outside and specifically camping too because there was nothing else for me to do. It was a very, very sad childhood. Um, so, spent a lot of time outside and I was just walking around our property that night and happened to notice this series of seven lights just hovering what seemed to be directly overhead. They weren't moving, they weren't making any sound. They weren't altering at all in their luminosity or or anything. They were just these solid lights that were there in the sky above my head. So I watched them for a while, 
and I was pretty fascinated, but I was also a teenager with a short attention span. So after watching these things for a while, I got bored and I went back inside. Well, it came out some time later. Those lights were still there. And at some point, I, my brain started working properly and I got the video camera and started recording these things. These lights were what seemed to be over our property. I mean, they were pretty high up, not that high up, but pretty high up. But they were, they were in the sky there. For what I estimate... And again, this is 1997. I don't remember precisely. But I like to say about 45 minutes, these lights were in the sky. I was very familiar with military flares because I grew up where I had line of sight to the Barry Goldwater Test Range, which is where they frequently would drop military flares. I saw these things all the time and knew what military flares looked like and saw them quite frequently. What I saw was not military flares. What I saw, I have no idea what could possibly explain what I saw. Even to this day, looking back, you know, with hindsight, knowing what I know now with all of my investigation and looking into UFOs specifically, I still cannot come up with any logical explanation for what I saw that night. Yeah, the Phoenix Lights is probably one of the most famous mass UFO sightings uh, in history. And what a lot of people don't really take into consideration is so many people saw this and so many people reported it and so many people were affected by it. And the official title for this episode is The Power of Witness Testimony. And I wanted to ask Jason, um, along with some of you later on, um, what importance witness testimony plays within the UFO research that we do. Um, You can have dates and times of a UFO event, you can have all the data you want, but if you don't have a witness telling the story of what they saw or experienced, uh, we have absolutely nothing to work off of. So how important is that, Jason? Sometimes it's really, like you said, it's all we have, you know, and in the, you and I talk about this a lot, but right now, you know, people want photos and videos of UFOs and that's fantastic. I would love photos and videos of UFOs and we see lots of them all the time. However, we know that we live in a time where photos and videos can be faked very easily. You can pull out an app on your phone and create a very realistic UFO sighting right out the window. You know, so on one hand, as a researcher, you want the best photo and video evidence. On the other hand, you know, that only counts for so much. It contribute, it's contributing evidence, but you also know it can be very, very, very faked. However, with the Phoenix Light specifically, I'll point out, yes, you had thousands of witnesses. And that's, you think about that, you're all, oh, that's cool. Thousands of people saw these lights in the sky or saw, saw a craft moving across the state. That's cool. But then you take it further and you talk about the governor of the state at that time. You bring the government into it. And at the time... Yes, when people think about this, they think about how he publicly sort of ridiculed it on TV. He held a press conference. He brought out his staffer in an alien costume and said, we found the culprit responsible and sort of made a joke out of it and said, this just shows you people are taking it way too seriously. Chill out. Later, he went on the record and said he did that because people were freaking out. He wanted to calm the public. But the biggest thing, and again, this comes to witness testimony and the power of witness testimony when you bring the government into it. This was the governor of the state of Arizona. And he went on CNN and and later some documentaries too to state that he too saw the Phoenix Lights that night. 
He was bewildered by them. He had been an Air Force pilot and knew what things looked like in the sky. He actively tried to get answers from the military about what happened that night. They wouldn't give him any information. It wasn't until, I think, more than a year later when they came out and said, oh, yeah, by the way, that was us. We dropped flares. But their explanation they gave didn't even align with the time when the incident happened. But this was the governor of the state trying to get answers from the Air Force Base in in Arizona. He couldn't get answers at all. And he also says that not only was he a witness that night, but what he saw was not of this earth. That's the governor of the state of Arizona going on record making that claim. So, yes, it's powerful when you have thousands of people, you know, when you talk about it or read about it, that's just a num- you know, number on a paper when you're reading a story, you're all, oh, yeah, thousands of people, that's cool. But then when you bring in somebody in a governmental public service position like the governor of a state also saying, yeah, I saw too, and it wasn't from this planet. Yeah. That's powerful. It's very powerful. And I think what's also really interesting is uh, we both work with a colleague named Cheryl Costa who wrote a desk reference book that's literally like this thick. And it goes from, oh, my, oh maybe like two decades of UFO reports throughout the United States. It goes by, I think, count from like state all the way down to county of reported UFO events in a certain area. And... It's amazing to see these graphs and charts of all this data that she's brought forward, but it also helps us as UFO researchers to find these areas, these hotbeds, as we call them, of where all these reports are coming from. So if you have an area in, you know, somewhere in California where there's been 700 reports versus somewhere else in the country that had two reports, we're going to go to that area because clearly there's activity going on there that a lot of people are seeing and we're going to interview the people who saw these things and get their stories. So I think while data and all that is very important, um, it's mixing that with the story and trying to find patterns that, that really brings ufology to life. You have the people who work with witnesses, and then you have the people who record the data. And I love UFO data so much. Yeah. So Cheryl's work is, is awesome. It's nice to have that data to point to. But yeah, coming back to, to witness testimony, I love seeing that being a huge emphasis in the History Channel's new show, Unidentified. They really focus on witness testimony, and specifically the witness testimony of Navy fighter pilots and, and Navy service members aboard ships who are, are operating radar systems and you know hearing from service members about UFO encounters, that's also very powerful. Absolutely. I mean, I'm going to be talking to one of the Navy radar operators that was a part of the Nimitz encounter later this week. And already, um, after a phone interview with him, he told me flat out, like, this changed my life. It really did. I was there to do my job. I fell into a UFO event, and it's changed every aspect of my life since then. So, so again, about the power of witness testimony, you talk a lot to witnesses, people who claim to have seen lights in the sky all the way to having uh, you know, encounter experiences, abduction experiences, things like that. And in, in your case, you know, I know you've read like emails they've written or, or read about their stories ahead of time, but how different is it for you when you actually meet the person face-to-face and hear that story from their mouth. It's a hell of a lot different. I mean, I get emails on a daily basis of people saying they saw something or they experienced something, you know, and the email is literally like 
20 pages long. And I would love to answer every email back and be like, yeah, I'm going to look into your case. But it's daunting. It can be very daunting when you get these sort of um, correspondence because I don't know what the hell they saw. I can try to help them along the way. But for me, it did come down to when I decided as a quote-unquote UFO journalist that I was going to go out and meet these people having these experiences. And I remember the first person I met face-to-face, I was in uh, Arizona, and I was in a diner, and I was with her and her husband, and she was recalling to me for the very first time she told anyone about this other than her husband uh, an experience she had as a child with what she believes to have been some sort of non-human entity and it traumatized her it really did and I just remember sitting across from her and her husband and she started crying and she was holding her husband's hand and she was like squeezing his hand so hard she was leaving like permanent indents in his skin and I was just watching all these little things in descriptors as she was telling me this story and that really impacted me it was the first time I separated like reading something on my computer to meeting this person and hearing their story and seeing how it affected her and seeing her husband there with her supporting her through this and being like you you got this you got this and the fact that I was the first person she ever told this to and she told me that she trusted me with her story that's a big responsibility mm. because if I'm going to go on the record with this story whether it's in a book form or um, if she allowed me or gave me permission to talk about it on a podcast and uses her name there's no turning back from there She has kids. She has family. She has a community she lives in. Everyone is going to know about this now. So that really struck me, too, is it's not easy for people to come forward and talk about these things that you hear at AlienCon. It it is easy for some people, but not for most people. And I don't think a lot of people really take into consideration what happens after you come out with that. Like, you look at Travis Walton the um, fire in the sky alien abduction case or anyone who claims to have been abducted by aliens maybe maybe it's a cool story to tell but after that like everyone's going to judge you after that so you, you really have to think about like the conviction you have coming forward um, why you're coming forward and for a lot of people it's just closure just telling somebody. Um, They don't want you to judge them. Um, I don't judge anyone I speak to. I think every story has some sort of value Mm -hmm. when it comes to our investigations, and um, it's not easy. It never gets easier. Right. And on Sunday, when we do our recording of the Unknown podcast, we'll specifically be talking about that ridicule factor that you mentioned and just the stigma that still surrounds the UFO topic. And speaking specifically about witness testimony, you know, think about all the stories that we don't hear because of that ridicule factor of people not feeling comfortable to share those stories. Yeah. I mean, we know one of our heroes, uh, the late Stanton Friedman, a nuclear physicist who studied UFOs his entire career. Um, he used to go on the lecture circuit. He's, he's lectured in every continent, country you can think of. Every one of his lectures, he starts with... Um, how many people in the audience have seen a UFO? And like 95% of the people would raise their hand. It's, they saw something. And then he would ask how many people reported it. And maybe two hands would go up. So that's 
95% or somewhat people who aren't willing to come forward and report what they saw. Well, and I love using myself as an, as an example, too, because, like, I think I've seen probably probably about 12 UFOs at this point, and I'm in this field. This is what I do. How many of those 12 have I ever reported? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. it just shows you there's so many out there that aren't, aren't reported, aren't discussed at all. Mm-hmm. Well, and another thing, too, is a lot of people ask us, you know, um, skeptics or um, people who just want answers will ask us, all these people are having UFO sightings or claimed abduction experiences or close encounters. Why is no one taking photos of this? Like, where where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? And... Honestly, like, we don't have an answer for that. There should be more photos out there of these things happening. But at the end of the day, I don't know about you, but when I was 12 years old and I was staring up at whatever the hell that thing was in the sky that I saw, I wasn't thinking about going and getting a camera and taking photos. These things are very, very personal. And for me, I was alone on that dock and... This was happening just for me, and I wanted to experience that, besides being scared shitless. I, I wanted to experience that myself, and I, y- you don't think about, like, oh, I need to document this to bring it to, to somebody to That's look right. at. You know? Yeah, and I, I feel I have to go back to the Phoenix Lights, because I did mention that I recorded it on video. But I then have to say that I think that was recorded over by one of my brother's soccer games. <laughs> so, yeah, that video doesn't exist. But... <sighs> You know, to, to your point about photo and video, there's certainly a lot, lots and lots and lots of, of photo and video. We know that. And in fact, when we come to events like this, lots of people share their photos and videos with us. Um, and we see, you know, hundreds of these photos and videos shared with us throughout the years or throughout the year. But that really, I think, emphasizes the point of this episode, and that is the power of witness testimony, right? Because again, it comes back to, yeah, a photo can be really fascinating. It can look cool. It can look, you know, very clear. It can look bizarre, whatever, but it's still a photo or video and they can be manipulated. They can be fake. They can be hoaxed. doesn't mean that they are. They also can be just misidentifications, Mm -hmm. but really it's still just a photo or video. I think when it comes down to it, witness testimony, to me, is a lot more valuable than a photo or video. I think so, but we also have to play devil's advocate, too, and remember that um, a lot of these events happened to people 20, 30 years ago. Exactly. Memory is not perfect, and I know, for me, there are very specific things I remember about that night and things I don't remember at all. I don't know when you saw the Phoenix Lights. I mean, for you, was it as clear as day? Could you say how high this thing was, how big it was? Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. I mean, it was a tremendous event in my life, for sure. I remember it. I remember how, you know, fascinated I was, how exciting it was, how just bewildered I was at what I was seeing. But I always try to preface it when I tell that story, that we're talking about something that happened in 1997. I'm not going to pretend that I know, that I remember every little detail. I don't even clearly remember seeing Seven Lights. Just after telling the story so many times and thinking back, that that's what I see in my mind. But could it have been more? Could it have been less? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to state with certainty you know, the details that happened. I'm going to say, I'm pretty sure this happened or this is how I remember it, but I know how fallible memory is. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep that in mind with these cases that, you know, you're talking about things that happened so long ago. I mean, 
I know we went and, and got a drink last night and had dinner. I don't remember what I got for dinner. So yeah, I don't <laughs> I remember either. That, That's a good know, point. I remember fine details for something that happened yeah. back in 1997. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I think it really brings a human element to all this as well as perception. Mm-hmm. I spoke to a woman in Michigan who had a triangular UFO sighting over her house, and she went out to walk her dogs. Dogs would not go off the porch that night. They'd never done anything like that before. Clearly, she thought there was something out there. So she walks down into the lawn. She's looking around. There's nothing. The dogs still won't leave the porch, and they start barking, and they're barking like up, like barking upwards. So she looks up, and she sees this massive triangular thing over her house and she's just staring up at it and then she screams for her daughter to come out and look at this thing with her like am I crazy are you seeing this her daughter comes out they're both now staring up at this triangle and the mom is telling her daughter like oh my god it's so silent it's beautiful like do you feel that I like I almost feel euphoric and she looks over at her daughter and her daughter's covering her ears and be like I can't hear you it's so loud and her daughter felt like immediate threat from whatever was up there so perception plays a key role too I think these people these mother and daughter they were looking at the same exact thing but having completely different experiences in that moment and that really fascinated me you mentioned dogs and I've got to say, man, like witness testimony, one day when we can actually talk to dogs, <laughs> I want to talk to dogs about UFOs because there are so many UFO sighting stories that involve dogs. You know, people were alerted by their dogs about something in the sky, or they actually are the reason for a lot of sightings, too, because a lot of sightings reported are people when they're out walking their dogs. You know, that's when you're out looking at the sky, so... I think dogs have a lot to say about yes, UFOs. If dogs can I want to talk. talk to dogs. I love dogs anyway. So, <laughs> Well, I want to maybe talk to any of you guys out there. Um, we're sort of on the second half here, and we did want to open it, open it up to anyone. If you feel comfortable sharing something with us up here, um, whether it's like a UFO sighting, please feel free to come up to the mic. Otherwise, we'll just we'll keep we'll keep talking. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're in a safe place, and um, no one's here to judge you. So yeah, if you'd like, please feel free to come up. Yeah, you can come up to the microphone, form a line if somebody's there, and we'll we'll get to you. I, I want to mention that I brought up on Sunday how we're going to be doing a live recording of another UFO podcast called Unknown, and focusing on the ridicule factor and how people are uncomfortable sharing their stories. And during that recording, I'm going to, for the first time, play a recording that I have of a college professor at one of the largest public universities in the country who I happen to be doing an interview with on something totally not related to UFOs. Mm -hmm. And he happened to see my book. I wrote a book about UFOs, and that book was was on my desk. He happened to notice it out of the corner of his eye, and he had to ask me about it. He said, so I see that book. What is that? And I explained to him that, you know, this is something I've done for more than a decade and wrote a book on it, been on TV, talked about UFOs all the time. And when he had that little intro... He knew the gate was open. Then he just chimed in. Well, I've seen a UFO. I said, oh, well, that's great. And so he started telling me his story. And I had, because I had it set up for, for an interview, I was recording the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it was a fascinating, fascinating sighting. 
that I can't wait for you to hear because you haven't heard this either. I have not heard and it's a fascinating story from a college professor. And after, and when I remembered that I'd been recorded this, recording this whole thing and I wanted to use that on the podcast, I asked him if it was okay if I used that in my podcast. Mm-hmm. And he thought about it for a bit. And he said, y- yes, that'll be fine, but don't use my name. Yeah. Don't say where I work. Because yep. he didn't want people being able to figure out that it was him telling this story. And this is, he's actually uh, retired now, so uh, an emeritus professor at at a major university. What does he care? You know, his career is essentially over. Mm -hmm. He's retired and, you know, certainly tenured faculty, they're not worried all that much about their jobs. Mm -hmm. They can kind of do their own research, talk about whatever they want, and they have that protection. But still, to this day, and this is something that happened back in the 70s, I think, he's still had never told anybody about it and didn't want his name revealed having shared this story. So, you know, the ridicule factor is strong and people still feel that and feel the hesitation when sharing that story and certainly publicly. It's not easy. I can't tell you, like, how many second dates I lost in my time (laughs) bringing up UFOs or um, that I studied this sort of thing. But that's another amazing thing about AlienCon is because... This is like a perfect environment for talking about these topics. Like nothing is weird or off limits here. Like you're among like fellow weirdos in the best way. Like this stuff is not weird. This is our lives and we love talking about it and sharing stories. And that's the best thing for me about this entire weekend is just having that ability to talk to people and, and listen to people. Because a lot of people I know who come to this event... They've never talked about this subject before, or they don't have anybody in their personal lives who they can talk about this stuff with. So this is just a fantastic weekend for that. I love it. Yeah. Yes. Is this on? Yeah, it's on. Hi. Hi. Do I introduce myself? If If you want. You don't have to. I'm Jane. Um, I think I might have mentioned this story to some people before, but it's kind of mysterious to me because it doesn't quite fit that mold of I saw you know a thing in the sky but I mean it feels unidentified in the sky Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, when I was much younger I remember waking up in the middle of the night for no apparent reason and I was I think in my early teens so I had no reason to really be waking up or insomnia or anything but I woke up in the middle of the night and it was maybe 3am and I remember going to my window again don't have any reason why it was just this kind of thing that I was doing almost on autopilot but I remember going to my window and looking out and there was a, there was a road below and, and absolutely nothing was going on on it it was, it was totally quiet um, and then after looking out the window for a split second, the entire sky that I could see went red. Hmm. And it was the kind of red that you would see if a, a car if it puts on the brake lights, that red sort of glowing red, but it was the entire sky. And I, I remember looking out at it going, huh, like, what's going on? Like, I, I thought a car was pulling out, but it just, it, the whole sky was sort of stained that color. And it stayed that way for about, I want to say 10 seconds, long mm. enough that I was kind of processing every sort of thing it could be and then kind of just staring baffled. And then, you know, without any sort of fanfare, it just went back to normal. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and it's something I think about from time to time because it, there, there's no good ending to that story. It was just this weird phenomenon that happened and then it never happened again. Yeah. Strange. Yeah. Very well, strange. That's a really good point. There's no end to the story. There never is. Like Sometimes is. Yeah. Usually not. Yeah. Like these things happen. There's no explanation. And um, you search for answers to it for the rest of your life right. usually. Which is frustrating in some aspects. There's but lots again, of frustration. Lots of head scratching. A lot of head scratching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like when people come to me to tell me their story, I try to tell them, I'm not going to solve this mystery for you, but I'm going to listen. I'm going to ask you some questions, and let's just talk about it. Because we're not experts. We're, we're, you know, we are UFO researchers, but we're in no way UFO experts. We don't know what is going on out there. We, we, we try to bring theories forward. Um, we try to bring testimony forward. But, yeah, at the end of the day, like, no one... No one knows what's really going on. So whatever that was, whatever phenomena like happened that night, um, you might be asking yourself what it is for the rest of your life. Sorry, that's frustrating. <laughs> Thank you for sharing, Jane. Appreciate yeah. it. So another thing with the witness testimony, the power of that and how that helps with UFO research and investigations is we have that testimony, and that brings in the data that you mentioned, you know, looking at commonalities between sightings, different shapes and behaviors, and knowing those commonly reported shapes and behaviors of these objects in the sky really help investigators when they're talking to witnesses or investigating particular incidents because they have these sort of boxes they can go through and check and and categorize these things to help us better keep track of those objects. And it's interesting if you've been watching uh, Unidentified on, on the History Channel or reading really any mainstream media outlet the past year and a half, you know, one of the big stories right now is the Tic Tac UFO. And I think because it's just such a silly thing to say Tic Tac. So I think the media likes to use that, even though most of the time they'll show the gimbal video instead of Tic Tac. Yeah. Because yeah. the gimbal video is more exciting because you have the pilots go, whoa, dude, what's that? Yeah, what the like, bleep is that? Yeah, no, that, that's fun, but it's usually the, the gimbal video with a tic-tac. But tic-tac, it, you know, that's a description of the shape of a UFO, and it's relatively new thanks to that video. But those long, elongated UFOs, mm-hmm. you know, have gone by, by many names over the years. You know, for the longest time, we heard a lot about cigar-shaped UFOs. But we have, you know, rectangle UFOs and yeah. different things like that. So it's good to, you know, sort of come up with a standard, and that's, I think, a challenge that investigators have, trying to determine if what, when somebody says a Tic Tac, is that the same thing as a cigar? Right. You know, and certainly one makes your breath smell better than others, right? Yeah. But... <laughs> But, uh, you know, you've got these things trying to make investigation easier and make that data more consistent, and it's challenging because those UFO descriptions have changed over the years when perhaps the UFOs might not have, you know, necessarily. I, as a UFO journalist, I always loved especially reading accounts from the UK and hearing some of the things they would describe their, their UFOs, UFOs as. Yeah. They had a... Remember the, the Dudley Dorito? Yeah. yeah, this triangle-shaped UFO that is regularly seen over there. They, they called it a, a Dorito. Mm-hmm. 
because it's shaped like a Dorito. There were also hamburger-shaped UFOs. That was one of my favorites. But there have been some interesting dis- descriptions for UFO shapes over the years. Everything but we get that from witness testimony. Yeah, yeah. It's no longer just saucers. Like, oh, people right. are seeing just the weirdest things out there. How's it going? Hey. Hello, thank you. Uh, my name is Juan. Hey, Juan. Uh, I think it was about three, four years ago. Uh, well, let me just preface it. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I was always interested in aliens as a kid. Um, I think I was just regular fascinated, like, same thing with sci-fi, you know, horror movies, you know, regular, yeah. regular pop culture stuff. So. Uh, it was about three, four summers ago. Uh, it was the weekend right before 4th of July, so I guess you could look it up on the calendar, which... Whichever day, 4th of July, landed on Monday. Okay. It was that summer. Um, I live in Los Angeles, just outside of, uh, just right in East LA. Um, it was a Saturday afternoon, so I had to run some errands. Um, it was it was midday, it was around noon. So I remember when I jumped in my car, because I saw something on the freeway. Um, it was around 12.15. So right in the middle of the day, it was really sunny. Um, my mind wasn't on seeing anything in the sky. My mind wasn't on anything uh, out of the ordinary. I was just in a rush to do my errands and to come to come back home. Uh, so I jump on the freeway, and I'm not sure if anybody around here is familiar, but uh, I live in El Sereno, so I took the 10, uh, the 10 east. So I'm traveling past Alhambra, going toward like San Gabriel in that area. Uh, so once I jumped on the freeway, there was some traffic, which I usually anticipated. Um, I, kind of, I drive a sports car, so I'm kind of like, my routine was I'm going to get on the fast lane, outrun everybody. Again, I'm trying to come home quick. Um, so I do that. I, I travel maybe about a quarter of a mile before I notice, because there's a straightaway at that point on the 10 freeway, but there's a bright light kind of like shining toward me. So, you know, I didn't think anything. Again, I'm looking at the traffic. I'm trying to get where I'm going, and I realize as I'm approaching the light, I'm kind of driving toward it. So that was weird. So I'm thinking, well, you know, there's a train on the side, maybe it's a train coming, or I don't know what. So again, I'm kind of driving a little quickly. So I'm approaching the light, and I realize that the light's not traveling away, it's actually stationary, and I'm approaching it. So as I got closer, that's when it started to get really, really confusing, because all the cars around me, it seemed, I think they had to see it as well, because I found myself that I was the only one that was, I think everybody started to break. Mm-hmm. And at this point, when I was approaching, I let my foot off the gas. So I was letting the car momentum. So I must have been going maybe about 40 miles an hour. So when I was approaching what I saw, I was alone. Everybody else was about maybe about at least 100 feet behind me, maybe more. Because I think they were also alarmed also. So... In essence, what I'm saying is that I saw a light on the freeway in broad daylight during the summertime, and as I approached it, I saw a light at least a mile away. So it was a bright, almost LED white color. <laughs> so as I approached it, I started to see a shape of what was giving off this light. And it was kind of scary at first because I, I didn't know what it was. I, w- I wasn't expecting anything. Uh, I was like, well, is this a helicopter? Is it a train? Is it a car? They got turned around. I'm you know, my mind's going a little quickly. I'm like, what could this be? Do I have to, you know, swerve out of the way? Uh, no, it was, it was just there. So as I approached, what I, what I could describe was it was, this, it was spherical, so it was circular. Uh, it was the size of, like, let's say an NBA regulation basketball. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that big. It was silver in color, 
There were no dents. I didn't see any rivets. I didn't see any. Uh, it, so it looked smooth, like mm-hmm. a ball bearing. Except as I was approaching it, the face of this ball bearing was flat, and that's what was emitting this light. Mm-hmm. Now, just given what I was professionally doing at the time, I had some experience with light bulbs, 100-watt light bulbs, uh, things of that nature. So that also kind of caught my attention because I've been around light, large wattage bulbs, and whether you have protective goggles or not, it, you could see the outline of a bulb or a shape and or it may you know, kind of have you wince. That also surprised me as I approached. I didn't wince away. So a light that I could see a mile away in broad daylight as I got closer, I didn't have to look away. It didn't hurt me. So again, I tried to get as many details as I could as the momentum of the car was passing. I'm looking at this thing so I could see the, the size, how smooth it was. Another thing that really... Well, two things that really also, uh, as I was approaching, I'm like, this isn't normal, how low it was on the freeway. You know, I, I, drive, I drive a Dodge Challenger, so it's kind of like a low car. This object was floating in the freeway so low that if it was like an 18-wheeler, 18-wheeler, it would have hit the windshield. Hmm. So again, I was like, well, that's, if this is a drone, that's really on the freeway, really low, and also the movement. It, it kind of moved like a, like, a, like a birthday balloon that's tethered to a chair. And if somebody walks by, so basically mm-hmm. it was kind of just like, it was like mm-hmm. moving like this, very slowly. And, you know, if their cars were going, it, it, it seemed unaffected. So as I drove underneath it, I have like a sunroof, so I hit the light, I hit the, mm-hmm. the sunroof so I could look underneath to see if I could see fans or vapor or anything. And there was nothing. So it was really strange. So as soon as I saw that, I immediately thought like, this is really, you know, something I've never really seen before. I really wasn't sure if... It's something I should pull over and investigate and yeah. things like that. So when it occurred, I was, my immediate reaction was, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, the size and how it moved and, and all of that, I was like, this. if it was somebody's possession, like their drone, I would describe it that it looked really, really expensive. <laughs> and it looked really, really brand new. Yeah. Because, again, it was smooth. It wasn't dented. It wasn't discolored. Uh, it, was, it looked perfect looking. Um, so afterward... When I drove by it, I was like, should I pull over? Should I not? So I continued on the 10 freeway. I finished my, uh, my errands, which took about 30 minutes. And I remember when I got to the store to do my errands, that's when it really started to sink in. Like, this is really strange. So then I was like, well, should I tell the, the person that works there? You know, whatever. I don't want to seem like a crazy person. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was really strange. So after that, I think for about a week, uh, maybe about a week, I Googled to see if anybody else mentioned drones on the 10 yeah. freeway in Alhambra or Monterey Park or whatever and nothing and still like you know casually when I watch TV if ever the, whenever they mention drones and I see like spherical ones they're made of PVC or really really uh, thin plastic it's just that it seemed really weird that it moved like a balloon but it looked like if you were to hold it it looked heavy yeah. it, it would be heavy because it looks it looks metallic and metal yeah but yeah and because of how low it was you would have probably noticed if it, it it was tethered, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I drove under, I drove right okay. underneath it. Again, yeah. I wanted to see if there was a vapor trail. I yeah. wanted to see if there was exhaust fan. I just wanted to see what was actually, you know, propping it up or, yeah. or whatever, and it was there was wow. nothing. And also, when I drove past it, I, I didn't, my foot wasn't on the gas. I looked in my rearview mirror just to see what the reflection was, and it kind of, like, blended in. I really couldn't see it afterward in my rearview mirror once it passed, which... Which again, I was like, "Am I crazy? Like, did I just see right. that? Like, or, or whatever?" Wow. But yeah. dude, you're like 
the perfect witness, first of all. Oh, yeah, you well, like I mean, you was... checked everything off the boxes as it was happening, which a lot of people can't do. Yeah, which was weird, too. I mean, what freaked me out at the time, again, it wasn't that I was beyond thinking that the possibility of aliens wasn't possible. That's not it. It's just that it freaked me out because it was so close to where I live, and I live in the city, so I'm like, every time I watch these things, it's maybe rural parts of, you know, wherever... Or by the beach or something, but not close to East Hill. Not, not off the freeway where I drive all the time. Yeah. And not in broad daylight. Yeah. And how low it was. So, yeah. Right. Wow. Well, that's fantastic. So, yeah, thank thank you very much so, yeah. for so, sharing yeah, that. Yeah. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Hello. Uh, my name is Annette. And uh, it's a pleasure to meet you. Me too. Uh, this happened uh, over 30 years ago. And I was, it was summertime, close to dusk, uh, no sun, you know, wasn't bright or anything. And uh, we were leaving my home, and as I was getting into the car, I put my one, you know, one leg into the car like this, and I just looked over my shoulder and over the freeway, because we lived close to the freeway. There were seven objects, crafts. They weren't objects. Mm-hmm. There were seven crafts. One in the front, two behind, two behind, two behind. And I just stood there and looked at it. And then I, do you see this? <laughs> and, yeah. And we didn't say anything. We just looked. And I got into the car and we started driving, and the crash started moving. <laughs> and we just drove slowly along, and they drove slowly along. And then they took off. They vanished. Hmm. And wow. we didn't talk about it. Yeah. We, that's, didn't, we didn't ever talk about it. Yeah, that's very common. I, I know a lot of people who were in the same car with someone, saw something, and they witnessed it and then it was never spoken of again it wasn't just a quick flash like this you know just oh no this happened and i know what i saw yeah yeah and so but uh and i've talked about it you know sometime over the years later Mm -hmm. but at that particular time we didn't talk about it yeah do you remember what the objects looked like at all if i could ask dark okay dark Deep dark. Okay. You know how the stealth uh, aircraft look? Mm-hmm. Not exactly like not like that. Okay. Because I don't even know if that technology and seven of them. Seven in a V formation. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Yeah. No, not at the, and and you know they have the stealth bombers, but they, I don't know how many they have. But no, and he's just sat there. It was similar little shape. Like yeah. That. Wow. Something like that. Thank you. Thank you very much Thank for you. sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, what do we got? All right. I think that's going to be it for us, guys. Um, this is not your last chance to share your stories. Tomorrow, actually, Jason and I are going to be doing an experiencer session where you can come and talk amongst a group of uh, supportive people to tell your stories. Uh, no matter what it is, what happened to you, it doesn't have to be just UFOs if you've had a strange paranormal experience anything we want to hear about it and obviously we love hearing those stories 
on our podcast, but that will be your time to share the stories, and they won't be shared. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, if you don't come to that, you can find us here all weekend. Reach out to us. Um, Again, the more people that tell stories, the more we normalize this topic and bring it to the mainstream to be like, Stuff's going on. We got to talk about this. So I want to thank you for coming to this today, for those who shared their stories, and uh, for joining me on this live recording of Somewhere in the Skies. So thank you very much. is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Hi everyone, my name is Andy and I host That UFO Podcast. That UFO Podcast brings you weekly content with some of the biggest names from around the world of UFOs, UAP and associated phenomena. Weekly interviews, roundtable discussions and breaking news podcasts with myself, regular co-host Dan and sometimes special guests will drop in too. That UFO podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you can download podcasts. Already having hosted names like Louise Elizondo, Sean Cahill, George Knapp, Avi Loeb, Brandon Fugo, Ralph Blumenthal, and many more. I hope you come and check us out, and as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.